now we get sitting out for a minute. That's the way country still ought to be. Well, Matt's here already. These days it's all wanna be singing someone else's song. Everybody's doing the same damn thing. Where have the rebels gone? Hey everybody and welcome. Wow, that was really loud. I must have the gain turned up too high. Welcome to a special episode of Anarchist Weapons Wednesdays. And uh, today I have Chris in my office with me. Uh, and Chris has brought some special toys. We're going to have a lot of fun today picking on the NFA and the ridiculousness of comparing the AR pistol to the S. The SBR, which needs to be registered. And if you're unfamiliar with the two, don't worry. We're going to show you. If you're listening to the audio-only version, unfortunately, you don't get to see. Use your imagination. Google it! Just Google it. But we're going to talk about it. We're going to go through the guns, the lengths, all of the stupidity that surrounds it. The fact that there is, in fact, really not a goddamn bit of difference between the two. Uh, And... Tell a fun little anecdote about Chris's trip over here. So, uh, if you guys are ready, I'm certainly ready. So, what we should definitely do is uh, get to it. Alright. So, SBRs, short-barreled rifles, and short-barreled shotguns. SBSs, yep. which sounds weird, but it is. Short BSs. <laughs> um, yeah, that pretty much sums up the NFA in a nutshell. Yeah, a load. It's a load of shit, and I think everybody knows that. Um, at least if you watch this show, you fucking better know that it's a load of shit. But at this point, um, if you're unfamiliar with it, a Short-barreled rifle is what? A short-barreled rifle is any rifle that doesn't have a barrel length of at least 16 inches. So it has to qualify as a rifle first. And once it qualifies as a rifle, if you're under 16 inches, overall length, and that's if it's unpinned, that's without the suppressor or muzzle device. On an SBR, yes, I do believe. Right. So, if it's unpinned, if you pin it, which means it's effectively welded in place, it's permanent. You can't remove it. Apparently they can't hear you well. I I see that. I moved up a little bit, hopefully. Let's let's turn up. Where's my gain? There it is. All right. 
Let's try that. And I'll stay away from the mic. How about that, Matt? Sound better? It'll take you a while to catch up. Yeah, there, there's a slight broadcast delay between what we do and what actually goes out. Yeah, I figured. But based on what I'm seeing on the audio monitor, they sh All right. Okay. So... If you pin the muzzle device on, and guys like, um, what, uh, uh, Faxon, I know for sure, makes a pretty short barrel that they have a pre-pinned muzzle device. Yep, they make a, I believe it's a six-inch barrel with a pin device. Yeah, that, um, they also make, I think, I want to say it's like a 14 with a two-inch muzzle device that's pinned. Yes. Yeah, 14 with a 2-inch muzzle device, because that's what I was looking at for the ultralight, was a, a Faxon pencil barrel okay. um, with a pinned, pre-pinned muzzle, um, because I don't feel like registering it as an SPR. Um, they get enough of your money. They don't need any more taxes. Yeah, and, it's, and, and to register an NFA uh, weapon, right, uh, you have to pay a $200 tax stamp. Which doesn't actually sound like all that much now when you spend thousands of dollars on weapons. But when the NFA was passed in 34? Yes. 34, when the NFA was passed, $200 was a hell of a lot of money. Well, and it wasn't $200 at the time. No, I'm pretty sure it was still 200 No. It wasn't? If I remember right, it was started off as $5. It might have been The five. original law said it was not to exceed 20 <laughs> I wish that was still the case. Cause I was, believe it was the GCA of 69? 68. 68. That changed that. Okay. Yeah. So the GCA says, okay, well, now it's going to be 200 bucks. Um, but, I mean, even in 68, $200 was not an insignificant amount of money. No. Um, and really the intention was to ultimately, and this is where we get back to the racist origins of gun laws, is the idea was that the average... A uh, black person in America wasn't making enough to be able to afford that tax stamp. They wouldn't be able to buy primarily an automatic weapon for themselves. Right. Um, and there's really fewer privileged things than gun control. I mean, than people who advocate for gun control because you're you're literally saying, "Well, the cops are, have such a presence around me, I don't need to worry about <laughs> other people protecting me." Um, and that's infuriating because. You know, it's that whole safety first thing. Oh, no, everyone else will worry about my safety. Everyone else will take care of it. I, I don't need to worry about it. Um, well, what is that saying? Uh, when seconds count, cops are always minutes away? Yeah, always minutes away, if not an hour in some cases. Well, think about Warren versus D.C. The cop was minutes yeah. away, but he just drove past. Yep. Um, there was that, uh, that guy who was, uh, who took down that serial killer in New York on the subway yeah. who was being stabbed in front of a pair of NYPD officers by this serial stabbing murderer and had to take him down himself because they didn't want to get involved right. and they, and nothing happened to them because they're under no obligation to actually protect you. Um, but we're, we digress. Um, we'll probably do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's lar We've already consumed mead, scotch, and now beer. Lining Kugel's creamy dark, which I don't think you can get outside of Wisconsin. Mm, no, I found it in northern Arkansas once upon a time. Hmm. 
Okay, so maybe maybe a couple of places. Because I know when I, when we toured the Lining Kugels Brewery, they said that the closer you get to Chippewa Falls, the more varieties are available. Yes. Because um, they don't ship a lot of this stuff real far. No, the most common ones to find outside the state are the Honey Vice, um, occasionally the Berry Vice, which could. Yeah. And more than anything, the Lemon Shandy, because that is in all 50 states, including Hawaii and Alaska. Yep. And then the original. Really, you can find the original inside of Wisconsin? Yes. But why would you want to? It's not very good. It's like, why Spoiler. would you want to pay the government extra money to let them know you have a gun? Right, exactly. Don't buy from FFLs, kids. Uh, we can get Shiner here, Brett. In fact, Festival up the road has it. Yeah, and uh, they actually had the um, they had the summer stuff that had like a, a lime something or other and a couple of other varieties in it. They're actually really good. Hmm. Um, I've had probably six, I want to say six or seven varieties of Shiner in Wisconsin so far. I've never had Shiner outside of Wisconsin because I started having their, their Bach here. And I actually quite enjoy Shiner Bach. Well, if we're going to talk about beers, my favorite one is Moose Drill out of Missoula, Montana. Moose Drill is pretty good. I actually, you know, have you had Buffalo Sweat? Buffalo Sweat is really, really good. Um, it's from Tallgrass Brewing. Very, very good. It's also good in ice cream, actually. You, you pour it in ice cream, you make a shake with it. Hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> strange things you do while getting really hammered. Um, <laughs> but we digress again. Yeah, but we digress. We're not here to talk about beer necessarily. It's not yet. Um, so, since we're here to talk about ARs, and we're going to talk about uh, the various lengths and things. Let's start, if you want to grab an AR rifle. Just a standard rifle. So this, this is an AR rifle. It looks like it's pointed at his head. It's really not. Yeah. It's behind him. I promise I'm not being muzzled right now. So this is an AR rifle. So this, you can buy in most states with zero... Um, Zero background check if it's from a private party, as the it should be, as the founding fathers intended. However, or an eighty um, percent lower. Yeah, or an 80% lower. I have one sitting over there, but it's actually holding some of my power cords in place right now. So <laughs> um, <laughs> there's that. Uh, but that is an AR. That is the single most popular rifle in the United States. And as you can see with the AR rifle, I'm trying to get it out from behind the camera. Uh, go that direction. Go this direction. Yeah, there you go. We'll turn it around too. This one has this vertical foregrip, which you can put on the short barrel rifle, which we'll get to, but you cannot put on the pistol without making it another, a different classification of NFA item. AOW, right? All other weapon or AOW. And AOWs are still NFA, as I recall. Correct. Yeah, AOWs are still NFA. Um, firearms are not, to further muddy the waters. If which, it's simply classified as a firearm, it is not an NFA which we'll cover that when we get to the pistol. Um, yeah, I'm I'm that level of freedom. I'm using I'm also using one to hold up a sticker back there that says this and I have I have a few of these. I have one on the back of my pickup truck. My lovely coexist sticker. I love these. They are still available online if you can find them. They're a little hard to find now, but yeah, I have uh, I have a number of AR parts as as pieces of decoration. Well, 
every rifle or every firearm that we use here on the show tonight is going to be chambered in 300 blackout. Which is... Andrew's grabbing the live round that he ejected last week. Yeah, that uh, the little one that gave me the heart attack right here. This is a 300 blackout. And for perspective, I don't have a live 5.56 round handy, but I do have an empty casing handy. This is an empty 5.56 casing. So this is this is what most ARs uh, that you buy stock in a store, for the most part, I'm still going to say, yeah. um, are going to fire. This is a 300 blackout. Um, you'll notice the case is significantly shorter and wider because um, it's 30 caliber, not 22. Uh, same case head, though. So you use the same bolt and bolt face. Uh, the bolt face is unchanged, but the uh, casing is different. The chamber is different. Now, one thing you have to be cautious of if you have both of these calibers at home is to make sure that you make you can easily identify... A 300 blackout versus a 5.56 or a 223 cartridge, because they will close inside the chamber of each other. And if you chamber a 300 blackout <laughs> and 5.56, you're going to have a really bad day. It's going <laughs> to blow up in your face, and you probably won't survive. What's the the chamber pressure is dramatically higher. Well, when you try to shove a three, 30 caliber projectile down a 22 caliber hole, yeah, because it, it doesn't want to move. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, you could potentially also wind up with, I would think, you'd almost be generating enough pressure to get the lugs to fail. Yes. Yeah, that would be bad. Um, <laughs> and also, if you go the other way, if you try to chamber a 5.56 and a 300 blackout, it'll fire, but your barrel and your chamber are now junk. Because this casing is sitting inside the chamber, and it's going to blow out. All of this little neck down is going to come out. It's going to wind up completely straight. Actually, it's going to be probably slightly necked out, I would imagine. A little bit. Um, and and it's not like it's going to be accurate because it's free-boring the entire way down the barrel. So it's just bouncing around. And Unless you get lucky and the case separates right at the shoulder so the case wall is twisting <laughs> down the barrel. Yeah, but, it's, yeah, it's good for it. I'm sure that'll... <laughs> and I'm ooh. sure it'll cycle phenomenally well. Eh. <laughs> That's all you're going to get out of the bolt. Eh. <laughs> okay, well, that didn't work. I think that might have been a 556. Five, um. <laughs> so, Brett, in the comments uh, for the, the ones not watching this live, uh, either on YouTube or you're listening, uh, said when you skirt on out of the range after sneaking a 300 blackout round into a 556 five, mag. Um, if you really, really, really hate someone and don't have a problem with possibly being wanted for murder, yes, that is something you can do. Uh, strongly discourage such behavior. Yeah, that is not, <laughs> not something I will even remotely imply that I encourage. That's a very bad, bad thing to do. Probably kind of funny if it's, you know, say, an alphabetty, but, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> direct action is sometimes necessary. Occasionally. And speaking of direct action and, and such things. Um, so, in a moment, after we cover the, uh, after we show you the SBR and the AR pistol, we're going to tell you a fun little story. Well, Chris is going to tell you a fun little story. Um, about his, his journey here um, to do this tonight. Because it's going to be 
entertaining. Yeah, very entertaining story. So let's step down then in size. So this is a rifle, just a rifle. 16-inch barrel, 15-inch handguard, muzzle device on the end, and fully adjustable six-position Basic AR rifle. Right. There's, I mean, nothing particularly special about it. It's a rifle. So Fun now, fact, this is actually the rifle my son will be using this weekend when we go out in the woods deer hunting. No one uses an AR to deer hunt. Oh, on that note, did you hear the DNR is telling everybody to keep their eyes out for wild pigs all the way across the state this year? Oh, God, now we're having... God damn it, Texas. You guys just couldn't do a good enough job with your helicopter hunting and every, you know, and using Tannerite inside bait buckets and shit and you still didn't do a good enough job now they're coming up here well i was a little confused i thought they were talking never mind different pigs <laughs> oh they didn't mean themselves no they didn't oh, mean okay. themselves right. I guess, unfortunately <laughs> i always keep an eye out for them um all right so this next weapon this one is an ar pistol has a adjustable pistol brace on the back end of it here goes to four positions does not exceed a length of pull, which is from the flat of the trigger to the end of the brace, of 13.5 inches. If you exceed that, it becomes an SBR and you end up in all sorts of NFA trouble. The barrel length is 10.5 inches, and if we were to measure the overall length, which is that magical number that we were talking about, this one is approximately 24 inches from here, because from the muzzle, or the muzzle device, which you have to take off, if 24 inches from here down to, and you have to measure this without the brace. And that's how easy a pistol brace, and most rifle braces, come off of a gas tube. Yep. And it's the same buffer tube as you'd find on a rifle. Exact same. That's what, is that carbine? Carbine length? Yeah, carbine length, six position buffer tube, but only four position brace. And it's because it's a four-position brace that it keeps the length of pull under 13 and a half inches. Are you keeping up with how arbitrary this is yet? <laughs> now, because so. of the ATF's opinions, under normal operation, I am not supposed to shoulder this. Oh, no, they changed that. No, 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 no. They say it cannot be designed to be shouldered. Design- it cannot be built with the intent to, dis- to shoulder However, if while you're shooting it, you happen to put it against your shoulder, that's perfectly okay. So, if, you know, more than... And, and that's super subjective, like most of uh, the the ATS regulations are, where it's going to be a... Uh, well, I mean, if we feel that you are designing it for this... Um, there actually, I read an article a while back. Um, apparently, if you even put all of the auto, full auto components inside an AR, even though you don't have that third hole drilled, if they can figure out a way to finagle it to get it to go full auto, they they will charge you as having built a machine gun. Absolutely. And what I also find really funny is I can legally go onto Brownell's website right now, and for $15 I can buy the little part that goes in the third hole. And I can mm-hmm. legally possess it, as long as I don't own an AR. <laughs> <laughs> if 
if I own an AR, I am now in possession of a machine gun and can and subject up yep. to 10 years in prison. They call it constructive possession. Yes. It is constructive possession. While it's not built yet, you have the capability of building it, and therefore you have it, even if it's not actually built. And just, you know, kind of my own little thing. I don't know if you can see what this says on the lower. I think the gain is too high. But the red red plus symbol, and it says waterboarding instructor on it. And the safety selector says for safe, it's dry. For fire, it's wet. And if you happen to have a uh, full auto group and register it, or a uh, uh, binary trigger, the third option is to drown them. <laughs> so, kind of a fun thing I got there with that. If, you know, you happen to run into some alphabeties come the Boogaloo who maybe don't want to be entirely forthcoming. But remember, it's not waterboarding if you use diesel. That's correct. So. Or coconut oil. I've always thought that one would be fun. You mean like vitamin E oil? Yeah. Heated to 200 degrees? <laughs> Have some cyanide, motherfucker. No, that would that would be <laughs> counterproductive. But uh, we want them to still be able to, you know, divulge. But that's not torture, according to the United States military. So, um, all right. So that is a pistol. I just here, hold that up uh, horizontally so they can see that do this without muzzling, without muzzling me. That is a rifle, or not a rifle? That is a pistol. Legally, that is a pistol. Yes, because it measures twenty-four inches. Now, if it was two inches longer. That's what she said. <laughs> uh, it would be classified as a firearm, not as a pistol or an SBR. So if I put a, say, if I pinned in this brake on here that I have on the end, if I pinned this and welded it on, it would be considered a firearm. And because it's considered a firearm and not a short-barreled rifle or a pistol, I could legally put a vertical foregrip right here. But because right now it is considered a pistol, you can put a angled, angled grip. Those but those lovely magpole, like what are they? Forty eight degrees, forty something like that. Yeah, yeah. Degree the the angled the ones that holds your hand about like that. Yeah, that you can put on a pistol, and it is still a pistol. But the moment that you attach a vertical foregrip, a vertical foregrip, it is now an all other weapon and subject to two hundred dollar tax. And that's the thing that you can literally take it because that's um, um what is it the M lock right? This is M lock. Yeah, so that's M lock. That takes thirty seconds. Yeah. To take on and off, but the moment that you put it on, you've committed felony if you don't have a tax stamp. Now the same is true if I took this off, the pistol brace off, and took the stock off the rifle that I've got here and put that on here. Let me grab. So, for instance. This lovely Luthor stock that's waiting for the proper gun for me to put it on. If I were to take this, pull this little pin down right here. And I pulled this little pin. And if we were to actually slide these together, and we're not going to do that on video, but if we were to do that, the instant that we do, we have committed a felony. Up to 10 years in prison. And all it takes is that one little, that quick little thing, and we've committed a felony. That is, so you're starting to see how arbitrary and ridiculous this is. 
It's all about the cosmetic features that make things look scary. Right. It has nothing to do with functionality. It has nothing to do with usability. None of that. So that's a pistol. Now let's go back to talking about a rifle. This, this is a rifle. Courtesy of, and he's in, joined us today, Matt Andrew. Courtesy of him, he has loaned us, and I am on his trucks, so if the, NF, or if the ATF comes looking, this is perfectly legal. <laughs> um, but this is a rifle. This is a legally registered SBR. Um, it has a standard six-position rifle stock on the back. I believe Matt built this one with an eight, maybe eight-and-a-half-inch barrel, it looks like, and a flash hider on the end. Well, a flash can. A flash can. Or concussion. It's a concussion-reducive device. So the design of it... The muzzle brake on it is is just a muzzle brake, but the can on it is designed to focus the sound and the flash straight forward, so the people to the left and right of you at the range don't go deaf, <laughs> because that's a short freaking barrel. Yes, yes it is. And if you fire that bastard without that, you're gonna have a bad day. Even with ear protection, that's going to be an emotional event. Without hearing protection, it will be a significant emotional event. To be fair, I have sat next to this thing while it was fired without ear pro in, and it wasn't terrible. I could hear about 45 seconds later. <laughs> Boy, that was great. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So... This is now a rifle again. All because of this magical thing on the end. Which comes off, well, I don't know how that one comes off, but comes off relatively easily. So if we were to take that, that Luthor stock and slap it on that, that's okay. Don't tell Matt that. He might ask me to bring it home. For 150 bucks. That's between you guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm not using it right now, so I wouldn't be heartbroken, and I could use money, but that's beside the point. So, because this has this magical stock on the end of it, and it is under the barrel length is less than 16 inches, this is a rifle that needs to be registered with the ATF, whether you use uh, an NFA Trust, which a lot of people do, or a you do it yourself. The difference is, is on a Trust... You can leave them to your kids, and as long as they're in the trust, guess what? They don't have to pay the tax stamp again. Right. However, oh, yeah. if you do it yourself, the second those transfer to the to your next of kin, whole different story. Now, they have to go through and run the paperwork again and get fingerprinted and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and that's another important point uh, that I forgot to mention with the NFA is when you buy an NFA item, you have to submit fingerprints. For that NFA item. Um, in order to legally own it, they need to have your fingerprints on file, you need to pay a tax stamp, and the average waiting period, last I heard, was like nine months. I think it might be short, slightly shorter now. Uh, no, actually, I just talked to the guys at my favorite gun shop, and they were saying that the shortest wait that they currently have is eight and a half. Eight and a half months. Okay, so right around nine months. Yep, but still. they've got one guy who's been waiting 18 months. 
Yeah, and so Jason brings up a good point, and I was I was getting to that, but let's let's jump there. Why don't you grab um here you can hold that. Why don't you grab the grab the pistol? Let's compare real quick the lengths of these. So well maybe down a little bit so they're in I have to here. Why don't you do that? There we go. Let's compare the lengths of these, shall we? This is a pistol. This is a rifle under the law. Does that make any sense to anyone? This is what what's the overall length on this, you said? Twenty four. Twenty four inches? This is and that's measured with their new stupid rules that they released this summer. Yeah, with this stupid length of pole and blah blah blah. Which is super subjective and entirely based on overall rear of the rifle design, which is anyway. The rifle has an overall length of what? I don't think we measured. Oh, well, we, we got a we have a tape measure, so we know twenty four inches is how long the pistol is. Now, because this is a rifle, it's measured with the stock fully extended. <laughs> yeah, stock fully collapsed versus stock fully extended. Oh, oh. brace removed. Oh, it's removed. Sorry, completely removed. So right here I have the tape measure set out to the length of the pistol. And right about there. Oh, well, we are a little more than that here. 27 inches because we're allowed to extend the stock. Because we can extend the stock. But without the stock extended, that's got to shave, what, four inches off? Three. Three inches off? I think. The way Matt had it set up, the way he had it set up. I don't know, it's still longer, 25. 25 and a half? Yeah. But the barrel's noticeably shorter. Oh, absolutely. Noticeably shorter. So. Just for my own morbid curiosity. Eight and a half. Eight and a half inches. On a barrel. rifle. On a rifle. And it requires a $200 tax. Ten and a half inches on the pistol. No tax. It's not about safety. It's not about concealability or officer safety. It's not about making sure that people aren't running around with uh, weapons that you know might put somebody in undue danger. It's purely about control, and it's all based on arbitrary shit that they make more complicated every time they announce an opinion letter or anything else because fucking Chevron... Yep. Fucking Chevron deference, man. I've covered it on the show multiple times. Chevron deference. And I think my last episode I covered it in serious detail, um, what it was. Um, Chevron deference is what allows them to just go, well, because there's there's nothing that explicitly states what these things are, we can use our opinions to decide. So opinion letters, for the most part, are kind of effectively law. They're not supposed to be, but they are. And that's an important point to bring up, too, because, you know, with the bump stock ban that they threw at us back in, uh, was it March? Yeah, Trump's bump stock ban. Correct. Um, Most second amendment, pro-second amendment president ever. (laughs) The bump stock ban, I will agree, it's a stupid accessory. They're a pain in the ass to use unless you practice with them religiously. And even then, it's... 
unreliable mm. at best. Yeah, they're they're kind of stupid. Just like binary triggers, they're kind of a, a gimmick. Uh, binary triggers are a bit easier. I mean, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Pull, release, two shots. Yeah, I mean, my biggest concern is that if you pull and then something happens downrange, and now you flip the safety to single single shot, and then let the trigger off, and it disengages the echo. Really? Yes. Hmm. I'd say because it. My my concern is if you shoot and something happens downrange, you're holding onto a dead man's switch. No, nope. <laughs> if you flip uh, the one that I've been looking at the most is the the actual echo trigger, and uh, that one is specifically designed where if you flip the safety release or the safety lever from echo to single shot. Right. Then it will disengage the echo and you can release the trigger safely. I've actually heard a lot of good things about the echo too because I've also heard that the echo um, doesn't or has something where it actually keeps itself from following the bolt home, which is always a problem with some of the early yeah. binary triggers where if you can rock and roll with fast trigger pull like a lot of us can once you get really familiar with ARs, you wind up pulling the trigger too quickly and when you release you release the hammer and it just follows the bolt home and doesn't strike hard enough to actually detonate the primer of the next round. Right. You end up with a um, dented primer but no discharge. Right. And that's not pleasant. <laughs> well, because then you worry, is it, okay, is it a hang fire? Or as soon as I open yeah. this bolt to clear it, am I going to get it in the face? Yeah, am I going to get an, o, uh, an OBD and wind up with a chunk of brass embedded in my chest like my buddy Ian, who right. now has permanently a piece of brass embedded in his chest from a battery discharge. Ouch. Yeah. Um, that actually, that was from a, uh, a really old, I think, French rifle, French military rifle, but principle is the same. If, if there's nothing... Because the brass that makes up a case is not hard metal. It's not pressure-bearing. In fact, it's designed not to be uh, withstanding to pressure because its entire point is to form a gas seal. Right. It's designed to expand and fill the gaps and create a gas seal for you. So I'd have to disagree with Jason on that one. Uh, Jason said, dented primers are scarier than angry girlfriends. No, I disagree. I think angry girlfriends tend to be a little scarier. It depends on why they're angry. I don't even know about angry. Like, just, oh, no, I'm fine. It's the worst thing to hear. Like, uh... No, the second worst thing to hear. The worst thing to hear is nothing. No, actually... You no, know, if you ask them how they're doing and they don't respond at all. Actually, I think the scariest thing to hear from your girlfriend is we need to talk. I think that's the scariest yeah, that thing. That takes the cake. What have I done? What have I done? Quickly run through everything I've done in the past 15 years of my life. <laughs> what am I being accused of today? Yeah. Um, though that's scarier, I think. Um, my sister said, see you at Thanksgiving. Yes, we'll be down there. It's a long trip, but we'll be down for Thanksgiving. Not me and Chris. No, I won't be there. Chris won't be there. <laughs> In fact, I'll be in the woods most of the day, and then I'll go to my sister's house. <laughs> I should just tell Lindsay that you're coming with instead of her. I'm swapping out. <laughs> Remember that angry girlfriend thing we were just talking about? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I think she'd just stare at me without words and blink, trying to figure out if I was actually kidding or not. Because what if I'm yeah. serious? Six of one, half of the other. It could be anybody's guess yeah. at this point. Um, yeah, so that's... 
that's how ridiculous and arbitrary the ATF rules are. I mean, the the pistol is visibly, especially... Jason's got it. Yeah, we need to talk later, and then leaves you hanging for like ten hours. Oh, yes. My personal favorite. Yeah, that one's, um... That one's the, the utter... Utter terror. Immediately. The fuck? What did I do? Yeah. But, I mean, as you analyze all this stuff, and you look at this stuff, and you see what it really is, in general, the the attitude I get from most people when I actually show them the differences, they're like, but those are the exact same gun. There's just a different back end on them. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly it. <laughs> That's it. And it takes me two seconds. To go from one to the other. Yeah. But that two seconds, in that two seconds, I've committed a felony if I have an unregistered SBR at that point. Oh, and here's another fun one. I'm going to take a couple of these apart here. I think Andrew knows what I'm getting at. Yep, I know what you're getting at. Because ARs are very modular. Extremely modular. In fact, there's a pair of pins that you don't even necessarily need any tools to pull apart. If you do, I have the universal gun takedown tool. I can use that. The nose of a round. Right, so I just took my pistol lower off, and I have my pistol upper in my hand, which I'll set right here. Then I'll pick up my actual rifle, and I'll take these two pins out. And do the same thing within reason. I don't say everyone's in suspense right now. Every, within like with, reason. Like with the like with the buttstock, everyone's in suspense right now. Are so we actually gonna do this it? One off. I'm not putting it together. No. <laughs> I'm not going to prison. Yeah, I know, right? No, we're so not actually gonna do it. Here that. I have a rifle lower and a pistol upper. I can have them both in my hand as long as they are not assembled. The second I put this on this, that's a felony. Yep. And you'll notice that the pistol lower and the rifle lower don't actually look any different. You know why not? Because they're not! The only difference is, is this one is a new frontier and that one is a spice. Yep. And we won't talk about what the uh, SBRs is. Because I don't want to. See you later, Matt. See you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in, checking us out. Almost did it. (laughs) (laughs) And that is how easy it is to accidentally almost commit a felony. Because they look exactly the same. How would you know? And it's also important to point out that even though the SBR is a short-barreled rifle and the rifle is simply a rifle, you also are not allowed to swap lowers between those two. I think you can because it is a registered rifle already. I think you can put a 16-inch barrel on it. But you could not swap the uppers. Right, but the uppers would still, because it's barrel length, the uppers still wouldn't. Right, you could put the 16 inch barrel on 
the S, the short barreled rifle registered lower, I don't think they'd ding you for that. But you can't go the other way. You can't take that short barreled rifle upper and then put it on the regular unregistered rifle upper. Because right. that, that too would right. be felony. That that was the direction I was trying to go. I was talking about the yeah. No, because it's it's based on remember and we talked about this last week uh, uh, as well, um, where and that's actually Jason just brought it up and and that's actually I was that was a great segue. I was just going to mention that. So the ATF, there the way they define the firearm component of an AR is the lower receiver is considered the firearm. However, under the actual law, in order for that to be considered the firearm, receiver, and therefore be the serialized part, it also needs to hold the barrel and the bolt, which the upper holds in an AR. Under the actual law, the AR-15 does not have a component that must have a serial number. Right. Under the law. However, the ATF just ignores that bit right up until you take it to court. And then they <laughs> dismiss any and all charges against you. Yep. Because they don't want it to become case law. Exactly. And they've done that twice now in yep. the past three years. Yep. And there was, uh, I just actually read something earlier today that while the lower receiver itself isn't necessarily considered a firearm under the law, they classify it as an other component that must be serialized. Something that actually doesn't exist in the law. Right. They make it up as they go. Which is why they keep tossing out those cases is because all that if that becomes case law, now only factory purchased fully assembled rifles are actually would qualify as actual firearms because they're pre-assembled. Now if they sold you a kit that had everything in it not assembled you're not buying a firearm. Yep. What you're buying is just a bunch of parts. Right. And what you're assembling, technically, legally, is still a home-built weapon. Correct. Even if it's a 100% lower. Right. It's still a home-built weapon because under the law, none of those parts contains everything to be defined as a receiver, which highlights the uh, lack of... Um, the, the, the lack of the ability of government to be able to work with the market. Because there was a time when the government could work with the market. Early on in America's history, it could. Because it, it, it didn't regulate a whole lot. It had some pretty broad definitions of things and just kind of said, hey, this thing, that thing. And, and it was just a general general definitions. The problem is that as technology has advanced... And draconianism has been steadily growing in the United States. The law has tried to define things very narrowly. And because technology develops faster than laws do, the government can't keep up. And so all of these laws are incredibly outdated. And don't define things properly. That's also the result of the fact that if you look at the general previous uh, employment, 
and like job history of most people in Congress, it's lawyer. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, you know, firearms manufacturer. It's not doctor. Well, with the exception of Rand Paul um, and his dad, Ron, when Ron was in. Um, in general, it's not doctor. It's not rancher. It's not... It's not anywhere near a cross-section of what the real, what real people in the United States are. It's, we know how to speak legalese in order to confuse you, and so we're going to write all these massively confusing bills just to fuck with your head. Yeah, just because if we can make things, uh, if we can make things confusing enough, then no one can argue except other lawyers, and as long as we can keep those other lawyers convinced that they need to keep government going to make money themselves, they won't fight that hard. Right. And that's starting to change. I mean, and that has changed with um, groups like FPC, GOA, um, FPL, um, AR-15 GOA. They have a lot of attorneys who care more about your rights than they care about the government at all. And so they fight really hard to undo a lot of this and to point out these holes and not point out these holes so that someone will fix them, which they've actually proven unwilling to do, but uh, point out these holes. Yeah, surprisingly. um, But point out these holes so that people can get around the government's draconian efforts to try and just micromanage every piece of American life um, just dangerously. It's it's insane, some of the regulations. And, I mean, we talk about guns, obviously, on the show just because it's, you know, it's the anarchist weapons Wednesday. But, I mean, in general, it's, I mean, it's not just guns. Guns are just kind of one of the easier places, I think, to highlight it, just right. how arbitrary everything is. Because, I mean, we could go into car regulations and farming regulations. and Well, then we end up bashing California, and before you know it, Jason's going to disown both of us. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Def- uh, uh, is it it's defense deterrence? Isn't it deterrence distributed? Is it deterrence distributed? I thought it was defense distributed. Well, defense distributed is uh, Cody's okay. company. Um, and one of my buddies actually, uh, had him on his podcast, um, not too long ago. I think it was Shane, if I remember correctly. (laughs) Yeah. Jason lives in California. He says, fuck California. And yes, fuck California. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, um, Cody, Cody Wilson's company is defense distributed. Um, deterrence, deterrence dispensed. That's what it's called. Deterrence dispensed is Ivan the Troll. Um, and there is a QR code floating around that you may have seen. Uh, if you watch the show and look in the comments occasionally, you might potentially see it. Um, don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it may or may not possibly lead, should you scan it, to the distribution site of Ivan the Troll and contain an enormous amount of 3D printed firearms, uh, home built firearm plans, uh, firearm component plans, things like that, because you can't stop the signal. If you watch this show, you've seen me wear the shirt before that says you can't stop the signal, and you can't stop the signal. No matter what they do, they can't, the information is out there. You can't, 
it's Pandora's box. It's been opened. You you can't close the lid on it. You know, we spent this the bulk of this time talking about ARs. I would like to point out that we're talking ARs, but Andrew and I are both wearing AK shirts. <laughs> yeah. Inadvertently, that happened. That was not coordinated, by the way. That just occurred. <laughs> that we both wound up wearing AK shirts on a night when we were going to talk nothing but ARs. But, you know, is the most glorious rifle of revolution coming? That's as you see the meme out there floating around, it's the only thing socialism ever built that worked. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I mean, well, there's you know there's a few others. PSL, the PSL is pretty well, good. The yeah, Dragonov. Um, you know, actually, what's really funny is talking about the Dragonov and AK. You know, Kalashnikov actually, uh, when the AK went into competition to become uh, a submachine gun, because that was originally what it was supposed right. to be. It was a submachine gun. Um, when it went into that competition, he was up against um, Dragunov and one of the other big Soviet designers, um, Degtrev. Okay. Um, and one other one. Um, who's the other big one? Simonov? Simonov, yeah. The developer of the SKS. Yeah. Uh, the big ones were Simonov and Degtrev that he was up against directly. And those two had professional educations in mm-hmm. firearms. Um, and... Uh, Conrad Kalashnikov had basically been a tanker in World War II, had uh, started looking at the STG and coming up with this idea for a slightly more powerful uh, submachine gun for tankers and things and started tinkering with it on his own. Somebody caught the idea, sent him to go get educated, but he basically was run through like a crash course in weapons design, Mm -hmm. had basically no education at all, formal education. I mean, he was a peasant before the war. And, uh, because effectively the AK has become the ubiquitous gun that it is now because when they took it to the weapons testing board and the weapons testing board gave them all of the, you know, the tips and like, Hey, we'd like to see you do this and maybe try this and whatever. Uh, yeah, Simonov and Dagtrev basically disregarded it all. And because Kalashnikov had no formal education, he figured, well, these guys have got to know what they want. So I guess I'm just going to listen to them. And he took into account almost every tip that they had to redesign the AK and they absolutely adored it and Simonov and Degtrev basically sub- resubmitted these yeah, same yeah. guns with minor tweaks and they hated them so they wound up going with the Kalashnikov and I guess the moral of that story is listen to the people who might know more than you uh, <laughs> or listen to the people who might be signing your paycheck depending on yeah, well, and if you're designing guns to be used by somebody for a purpose, listen to the people who are going to be using it yes. and what they want. Uh, it's going, no, 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 you do not understand. This this is best for you. Is not the way to go. It's it's just not. Um, I mean, Although, to be fair, I do own an SKS rifle, and that thing shoots phenomenally well. They're really good. You know, the SKS and the AK were adopted side by side because... The Soviet military wanted a rifle and a submachine gun, which right. is why they were side by side. And after a while, they decided, why are we making... I mean, this SKS is good, but this AK can reach out just as far, almost. It's the same cartridge. Why not? Yeah. Like, well, why don't we have the two? Like, why it's don't the we... same cartridge. It's just about the same piston-driven action. The, only, the biggest difference is, is the SKS is considerably heavier. Way heavier. Everything is precision milled out of the damn thing. Well... Precision is loosely defined when you consider communist <laughs> countries making guns. 
But well, I mean, they uh, some of their some of their milling was actually impressively good. I mean, well, even for their high end stuff, yeah. But when you're talking about an infantry rifle, they like. Oh, well, this router should work. Yeah, but well, I mean, like, like the uh, Kalashnikov, the the AK um, series one, the actual AK forty sevens, yeah, which is pre adoption. Um, that's what everybody gets wrong about AKs. Is it's actually the AK once it's adopted, and it's the AK forty seven while it's in testing. Um, the AK forty seven and the AK series ones are actually really well milled receivers. They're really well built. Yeah. Um, because then they, then they went to stamping because they needed to bust out rifles quickly. Yeah, because they well, and it was way cheaper, and it is cheaper. I mean, stamp metal, and the reason, part of the reason they went to that was, I mean, the STG, the STG is all stamped. Mm-hmm. Why would you, you know, the STG worked perfectly fine if they can make a stamp. The MG forty two is stamped. Yep. If if that works for that, I mean, it's bound to work for other shit, right? And so that's what they went with. In theory. I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, don't tell yeah. Century Arms that. <laughs> CAI gets kind of a bad rap. They did have a bad run for a little bit. When they first started making AK pattern rifles, they the CV or the was it C thirty nine or CV thirty nine? Yeah, CV thirty nine A's. They were decent. Yeah. The new ones, the C thirty nine CV thirty nine B's, those are pretty solid firearms. But mm-hmm. the, when you start talking about the Rasses, the original Rasses, um, cast trunnions, stamp metal, or stamp side metal, uh, I mean, it, it was... Well, and the castings were garbage, too, because oh, there are a lot of really good cast parts out there. There are a lot of well, military yeah. rifles from history that are mostly cast, almost entirely cast, that are actually really well done. Right. But they were not. When they, <laughs> when they first started making the RAS, they just kind of speed cast as many of them as they possibly could, as quickly as they could, because they could see that there was a market for a an entry-level offering in an AK pattern rifle. Give them about, or once you gave them about three or four years to realize that people are going to die that way, well, yeah, because they're cracking left and right. They're having right. all sorts of then fun problems. I saw a report one time of a guy who had one of the original rasses when they first came out, and the rear trunnion is what failed. Oh! So when he pulled the trigger, the dust cover came off and went ping right in the face, and then the whole assembly came back and broke out of the trunnion and slapped him in the cheek. Oh, that could kill you. That's that's moving did, fast enough. Yeah, but that could have killed um, him. It broke his cheekbone and severed the artery right underneath it. Oh my god! Which thankfully was all internal bleeding, so his just face just swelled up. But and it got to a point where it wasn't. I mean, it couldn't go anywhere other than rupture. Thankfully, it didn't. But yeah, so it was after I think it was that failure that they decided, okay, we need to do something different with this casting. And when they figured that out, well, ta-da! <laughs> about five years after that, or five years after the original uh, launch, hit right. <laughs> <gasps> about five years after the initial launch of the RAS, they redid all the trunnions, and that was the one that I used to own, had the, the better yeah. trunnions on them. And that thing, I when I finally sold it off, I think I had close to 
2,500 rounds through it. And there was no wear on those trunnions at all. Well, and to, and to put 2,500 rounds in perspective, too, I mean, keep in mind the average AR barrel lasts really maybe 10,000 rounds right? before it's shot out. I mean, even if you're making sure that it doesn't get overheated, or I mean, you're still, you're only getting about 10,000 rounds through it before you need, a barrel. you need a new barrel. So that's a pretty significant amount of rounds, and it's still doing okay. And, and it's, it's out there somewhere. I'm, I hope the person who bought it is enjoying it. And, uh, yeah. I, Lindsay really wanted to buy your AK really no, no, bad. She she's she's a big fan. Lindsay's a huge fan of AKs. She absolutely loves them. Um, and I couldn't be prouder. But For an AR yeah. guy, you should shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the AR is vastly superior to the AK-47 in a number of quantitative ways. But the... Uh, that isn't ignoring the fact that I do love AKs as well. I mean, I, I do. There, You won't find a hardcore gun guy um, who doesn't love both both of them. Um, the AK is really good. There's a, there is a reason why it's so ubiquitous. is right. because it's, it's fairly cheap to produce. It is way cheaper to produce than an AR is. Um, especially at large Anderson. scale. Yeah, even in Anderson. Oh, I was hoping we'd make it through the show without mentioning the name. <laughs> well, um, he's not here anymore, so it's oh, okay. okay to talk about. Yeah. Um that's that's what the lower on the um on the SPR is, is an Anderson. <laughs> you built an SPR and you used an Anderson. The one part you can't switch once you've registered right. it and you made it an Anderson. <laughs> um I mean Anderson's I the problem is is an Anderson is mil spec. I mean, at the end of the day, Anderson is mil spec, and anyone who's been in the military will tell you quite vehemently, military quality things are built by are, the lowest bidder. Yeah, built by the lowest bidder, based on someone else's design in general, mm-hmm. and sold at a quality level that is just good enough to pass. <laughs> so anyone who's like, "Oh, it's mil spec." You're an idiot. <laughs> I, I get offended when people call my fire my ARs mil spec because they're much better than that. Yeah, it's. Are you kidding me? I if someone handed me a true mil spec, like I look back now, I look back at the M4s, you know, that we carried, and I'm like, God, those were garbage. Like in comparison to the ARs that I have now, like you pick up uh, a day. Like I mean, let's let's go a little expensive here and overpriced. Uh, a Daniel Defense gun, which I'm not a huge fan of, I just want to point out, and fuck Daniel's Defense because he's also pro anti gun legislation because he's a fucking douche. But yeah, let's bite the hand that feeds us. Yeah, um, because fuck him. But they are really well made guns. I mean, there's no way around it. They are really well made. <laughs> yes, Jason, that's like putting a supercharger on a Pinto. It is, yes, and that is essentially what he did there. Um, Especially when you put, and if you put the supercharger on there, you cannot forget the twin Hong Kong Hurricanes. It, it's not even, you know, I, I would say that it's almost, because as much maligned as they are, I would almost say it's more like throwing uh, a super, like a Whipple super, on a diesel Yugo. Because a diesel Yugo, they're pretty maligned. They're good enough. I mean, they're ugly, and... They function. They, I mean, yeah, they, they get work. get you from A to B. With... 
they get you from A to B being laughed at the entire time and things. But well, but you get from A to B, and it's as cheap as possible because they yeah. do get phenomenal fuel mileage. Yeah, they do actually. <laughs> Um, I would never buy one, but... No. Um, but for they, getting back and forth from across the Sparta to work, that might be the way you want to go. I Yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm eyeballing a, a smart car pretty hard, to be honest with you. Oh, That's out oh, there. They have a titanium crew cabin. And? They'll do 90 miles an hour. And? <laughs> They're actually really neat. And, and you can get wheel adapters that allow you to put UTV wheels on them. Oh, yes. And I found out you can get an all-wheel drive conversion and lift kit that also adapts them for UTV rims and tires so that you can make them into an off-road smart car, which might be one of the most absurdly, ridiculously <laughs> awesome things I've ever seen. I look at that the same way that I look at, like, what I've... One of the things that Lindsay always rolls her eyes at. I mean, always... This is the reaction I get from her every single time I bring it up. Just the eye roll. But um, I really want a gold plated with um, the like uh, some sort of like stippled type um, or like deglossed uh, tiger stripe gold plated deagle in 50 AE. In the worst damn way. I'm going to give you the same reaction. The most impractical and ridiculous thing in the world. Which is why I want one so bad. It's the dumbest damn thing I've ever heard of, and yet I've seen them out there, and I want one so badly. Because it's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's so ridiculously ostentatious and totally over the top. That that be your nightstand gun, then? It, it would. I mean, can you imagine you break into a house and some dude busts that out and points it at you? You're like... Not only did I break into the right house to get money, but, uh, dude, you're gonna fucking kill me. Because <laughs> you don't draw that weapon on somebody unless you intend to use it, because otherwise you are going to get laughed at. So, <laughs> you, you're pulling that on somebody because you're planning on blowing their head into your neighbor's house. Because <laughs> 50 Action Express is a hell of a round. You know, talking about 50 cals, I would absolutely love to build a pistol caliber AR in 50 GI. That would be sweet, you know. No one's even talked about doing that. That's that might be that might be uh, Iron Harvest's first major self-built thing. If I feel like breaking into that, is do an upper because as long as we don't do the lowers, we don't have to worry about um, we don't have to worry about getting FFLs or anything. Right. So if we just build an upper in fifty GI. Adapt, and then somebody could just take a forty-five. I think it's forty-five ACP lower. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it'll be forty-five ACP because the same Glock forty-five ACP mags. Mm-hmm. You could totally just adapt that to fifty GI. That would be. I, I mean, there's really no reason for it to exist other than four fifty-eight SOCOM AR pistol for reasons, says Jason. Actually, four fifty-eight SOCOM lends itself to an AR pistol. I mean, not in any comfortable way, but <laughs> performance, it actually does lend itself kind of to an AR pistol, especially full auto. If you were to make it like a PDW, it would actually perform remarkably well that way. At the expense of whatever you have left for a shoulder. 
I mean, that would hurt. Like I said, not in any comfortable way. But like, 500 Smith & Wesson isn't comfortable, but people shoot it because, holy shit. <laughs> but, Just I mean... Just a plug for one of my favorite YouTube channels here. Watching Matt Carricker from Demolition Ranch shoot his 500 Smith & Wesson revolver yeah. is the funniest thing in the world. I love when he talks about it. He's like, I hate shooting this gun. It hurts <laughs> so much. And I've shot a 500 Smith & Wesson a few times, and actually I did shoot a tree down with it inadvertently. It was... The tree was, was probably like that big around, I'm going to say. You know, it was okay. like that. Um, and we had a target on it, and I'm shooting at it, and I'm going through the cylinder. I didn't even make it through the entire cylinder. And all of a sudden you heard crack, and everyone's like, run! And the tree fell over, and I'm like, I just shot a tree down. That's amazing! With a revolver! And then I'm like, ow, my hand hurts so much! Afterthought. Oh, it sucks Kentucky hard. Ballistics, really. Kentucky Ballistics. Yeah, Kentucky Ballistics does the, uh, they do the, um, the wrist breaker episode. Okay. Yep. Where where they have wait, what's that one forty five seventy isn't it? It's a revolver. It's like the a three BFR? inch, yeah, like a three inch barrel in forty five seventy. Why does that I gun saw, exist? I saw a three inch revolver in forty five seventy. I've seen uh, one in thirty thirty. Um, somebody just made one in three fifty legend. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and I think the. Funniest one I ever saw was they made one in that had changeable cylinders for fifty bale, four fifty Bushmaster, and four fifty eight SoCom. But why? <laughs> and it had barrel inserts, so it had threaded barrel inserts that went into the groove rifling for the fifty Beowulf. To neck uh-huh. it down smaller to use the 450 Bushmaster and the 458 so 450 Bushmaster actually isn't a bad round. I was I was skeptical, not as skeptical as I was a 458 Hammer. 460 I, what, Jason? 460 Roland or what? Yeah, I was gonna say what are there are several 460s out there. There's 460. Um, oh God, uh, it's a revolver cartridge. The guy specifically designed it. Is it 460 Alaskan? Yes. Yeah, there's 460 Alaskan. Um, which is a hell of a round. Well, 454 Casul is a hell of a round. Yeah, it is. Uh, 454 Casul is insane. Although, you know what? I, you know, fun story. Uh, firing that 500 uh, Smith & Wesson, it had like a four and a half inch barrel, something like that, five inch barrel. That's a bit um, of it, when it I fired, ported either, was it? No, it was actually a ported barrel. Well, that, um, that it, was, it was a really nice nickel plate. It was actually a beautiful gun. Beautiful gun. Um, but when I shot that, uh, he also pointed out, he's like, oh, let me show you, was it 44 mag? I think it was 44 mag. I fired 44 mag out of it. And that shoots like a fucking dream. 460 Smith Magnum. S&W Magnum, yeah, that's another one. Um, I did at one point make a list of all of the really big bore revolver cartridges out there. Um, no. the, <laughs> there was a guy and I'm spacing on his name, who developed, like, two or three cartridges, and they're all named after him. Um, it's on, if you Google the uh, the Wikipedia page for big bore pistol calibers, he, he's listed in there. Um, but he had developed a couple of different cartridges that were just monsters. Um, like 500 Nitro? 
Yeah, they were they were pretty equivalent. Three hundred grain round. So four sixty Smith and Wesson Magnum. Three hundred grain round at over two thousand feet per second, delivering twenty eight hundred foot pounds of energy. Uh, but what is your barrel length on that? I mean, if you have a four sixty Magnum and a four inch barrel, there's no way you're getting twenty twenty sixty on that. I mean, you might, but. Not without blowing the gun up. Because you've got a powder that's going to burn fast enough to well, be no, that's what consumed I was... on a 4-inch barrel. Now, a 7-inch or an 8-inch barrel, I could see that. Even a 12-inch barrel. I was thinking maybe carbine? Out of a carbine? You could use it. You, you could do it in a carbine and get enough acceleration. That... Yeah, that's about the only way that a 45 Colt has any meaning in today's world. That's true. That's well. That's the only way that a forty-five seventy actually matters, um, and only barely because forty-five seventy is kind of anemic, in my opinion. It's anemic, but damn it, it puts a lot of energy down range. And they are fun. I mean, a forty-five seventy lever action is a lot of fun to shoot. Like I, I'll malign rounds all day and and certain guns and things, but at the end of the day, some of them are really fun to shoot. Uh, it's I mean, like thirty thirty carbine is a garbage round. It is a useless, garbage, piece of shit round. But it's fun to shoot. But man, an M1 is a hell of a lot of fun to mag dump out of. Well, especially and, if you can find one of the old, one of the original M1s that you know hasn't been converted. The the original, um, was it Overland? No. Was that Overland? That was Overland, right? It was Overland. Overland. Yeah, the original Overlands. Not the Reborn Overland, because Reborn Overland, um, I've handled a couple. They're casting... Yet again, we come back to casting. Um, they're casting. The seams are like open on a lot of their front sight blades and stuff, and you can actually see light. They're so far open, and they're they're These not are a whole different meaning. Open sights. Yeah, they're. Um, I would say they are exceptionally World War II mil spec, uh, except <laughs> that I have also handled original M ones from World War II, and they're much better. <laughs> so. And they're really expensive. Like these are like twenty three hundred dollar guns, and they're not what I would say well made at all. Um, the wood on the stock is really nice, but as soon as you pull anything out of it, you're like, "Nope, <laughs> this is garbage." You'd be better off seeing if you could find because they do they float around and you spot them at uh, uh, gun shows every once in a while. The M one carbine parts kits. Mm, yeah. I've actually seen them still, like, in Cosmoline huh. um, uh, from World War II. Like, they're, like, 1946-47, like, just post-war mm-hmm. parts kits for M1 carbines. Um, and it's the entire thing. All of the guts of the gun in the original Cosmoline sealed up, ready to rock. And I think if I was going to buy one, if I could find one of the new Overlands for a good price, I'd rip everything out, slap that in it. Because allegedly it'll work. In theory. And and rock and roll that because it's going to be better. The parts are just made better because World War II is an era when if you made a gun that was subpar, people were definitely going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to make sure. And the Marines, for as much as they're all crayon eaters and idiots, really didn't don't still stand for subpar shit. No. <laughs> Not like the army because the army would. Hey, you guys will be fine. You'll figure it out. Although to be fair, I think a lot of them rejected things from the army end up in the marine corps that is also actually secondhand stuff that gets decommissioned from the army historically winds up with the marine corps 
a lot. Um, that's starting to change now, like the IAR, which is a really cool idea, by the way. Yeah. I love the idea of the IAR. Um, I really want to build a clone of an IAR. Semi-auto, obviously, because I don't want to deal with that shit, but um, there was a time in my life where I enjoyed dealing with that shit. No longer. Um, many gun man- machine gun manufacturers' licenses are the world's biggest pain in the ass. But... Well, no, I, <laughs> the guys that down there at uh, my favorite gun shop, they've got one. And they say that every year they have to go through all the same paperwork. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's expensive, and as long as you hold it, the ATF can inspect not just your business, but your home at will. Mm-hmm. At will. Just because, effectively, I want to own a machine gun that's been built since 1986. At that point, in order to do that, I have to allow the ATF to come into my home whenever they want. And they want to, frequently. Yeah, you sacrifice every Fourth Amendment freedom you ever thought you might have had. Yeah. See, the way that that Bad Fee works and the way that a lot of these laws work is... Um, and we're seeing that with uh, legalized marijuana, too, in states mm-hmm. where in order to get legalized marijuana, you have to sacrifice your gun rights. They will only let you choose. Uh, like uh, It's like a menu card. You can choose up to three freedoms <laughs> from the Bill of Rights, and that's it. Yeah. And, and you can't exceed that. So, you know, because like when, uh, when you have an NFA gun, if you're going to take it across state lines, Fifth Amendment's long gone. Fourth Amendment's long gone. You have to tell the ATF, I'm leaving on this date. I'm going here. Here is my route. I will be here for X amount of time. I will return at this time on this date, approximately, by this route. And if you deviate from that and they can't find you along that route, they will find you. They will find you and they will throw you in prison. It's... Yeah, and legalization is not the route to go. Decriminalization yes. of marijuana is the is the way to go. Um, because if you can, uh, if you can decriminalize marijuana versus legalize, you can. You're just saying, well, no one's going to jail for it, right now. Um, versus, well, according to the law that I that they're just passed committee today on the national level. If I was reading the correct bill, it looks like there's actual funds appropriated to the states to expunge criminal records for people that have been convicted of marijuana-related crimes. Which means that they're guaranteeing it will never go anywhere beyond that committee. Like, it's been approved by the committee, and it's going to go to the House floor, and the House floor is going to be like, nah. It'll end up being a party-line vote, because... The vast majority of the Democrats will say, yes, we want this, and the vast majority of the Republicans will vote against it because of my drug war. Yep. And then it'll end up passing the House to go to the Senate, and Mitch McConnell's already said... He won't, he'll he filibuster won't even, it if he has he, to. He won't even do that, because he already said it's not coming to the floor. Yep, he won't even allow it, because he's, he's Speaker, right? He's a leader, majority, majority leader. leader in the Senate. Yeah, so I mean, he can keep it from ever getting to the floor, right? And so never even gets voted on. Uh, the M9 pistol. Jason just brought it up uh, in the comments. The M9, the world's most garbage nine millimeter, makes a great boat anchor. It does. Um, they're garbage, and if you like the M9 or the M92, in the civilian guys, you're an idiot. Yes, it's garbage. 
Um, Jason Scheller, I know you like your M92. Sorry, it's garbage, man. I'm telling you right now, it is. I got a friend out there who's got one, too. Lloyd, hate to break it to you. I'm with Andrew. I saw, you know, I saw more uh, crates of those come in with broken frames and bent slides and... Well, they use them like a high point. It's a hammer. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so... If you are a, say, paramilitary organization and it's individuals who are really taking care of their guns and you get it brand new from the factory, it's an okay gun. Okay, because it's still not great because it's still too big for a 9mm. But as somebody like me, who is nowhere near like you as far as Glocks are concerned, um, give me a Gen 5... 1917 uh, yeah give me a, a Glock 19 or a Glock 17 and a Gen 5 and I will take that every day of the week twice on Sundays over a Beretta garbage pistol yeah Beretta and don't forget Beretta if you buy a Beretta you are sponsoring pedophilia it's a true statement because the largest shareholder in Beretta is the Vatican. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Fun fact. Yes, as the Pope talks about how bad guns are, know that he is the largest shareholder in one of the world's leading gun manufacturers. Well, to be fair, Beretta does make a really nice shotgun. Oh, Beretta, shotgun, Beretta and Benelli are, are phenomenal. Benelli shotguns are legendary for a reason. They're really good. Really expensive, but really good shotguns. Another shout-out to Matt. He has a Benelli shotgun. I, I've had uh, three. Three of them. I couldn't tell you what they were anymore because it was so long ago, but I've had three Benellis, and every single one was phenomenal. One was super used. Like I was like the tenth owner of the thing. And the first three guys that owned it were like competition shooters, yeah. so it's you know getting dumped into into plastic barrels haphazardly, and and it's still never I never had a misfeed, I never had a, any failures to eject, I never had any problems, even the the pump on it was never sticky. I mean, it it was a beautifully made gun too. Like you crack those things open, and they're just precision made. I mean, you mm-hmm. don't have a lot of machine... I mean, there's still some machine marks on the inside, but you they don't... polish most of that off and just make a beautiful machine. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not a Korth. Because Korth is on a, on a tier that other guns just will never achieve. Um, and shouldn't. There's no point. Like, <laughs> there, there isn't. I mean, you know, you, you gotta admit that the interior of a gun doesn't really have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be pretty. Oh, it doesn't have to, to look good. Yeah, it just has to work. So as long as your your little you know circular CNC marks from the end mill aren't overly obvious to the point where they're interfering with things, and is right. it it doesn't have to be finished machined. It doesn't have to be hand polished. It these things don't have to be there on the inside. But course. <laughs> I the only time I've ever seen one, and like uh, um, Jason and I had had that conversation the other night, where I said the only 1911 I would ever happily buy, happily buy, is a Korth 1911, because it's the single finest made. Would you be willing to acquire 
say something like a, uh, a cabin. Willing? I can say yes at the right price. Happy is a different thing. Because... Now, that's not to say I'm pro-1911. Don't get me wrong. Because they're... They're ancient. They're outdated. They tend to have lots of failure to feed issues. They like to jam a lot. What about a 2011? Um, eh. Like an STI 2011. I've seen them a couple of times. I don't know if I've ever handled one that I could really make a good judgment call on them. Um, VGS. Village Gunsmith, I do want to shout out to Village Gunsmith. He's been skirting around their name, but um, I know on Wolf, uh, me and Jason share a lot of their (laughs) posts. Um, VGS is one of the finest gun shops I've ever been in and talked to and interacted with. I'm super huge fans. Yeah, absolutely. He's right. I shouldn't be skirting around it. Uh, Village Gunsmith, shout out to Scott, Tim, Danielle, or not Danielle. Janelle, sorry, Janelle. <laughs> you got her name wrong. I did. She's gonna. I mean, she even runs her Facebook page, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Yeah. So, like, uh, Jesus. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's another thing is the Facebook page that uh, me and Jason are always sharing all these gun memes and stuff from um, is run by a woman, and she is it is hilarious to listen to her and those guys bicker back and forth in the shop. Absolutely hysterical. And I haven't spent nearly the amount of time that he has in there. Um, I've interacted with them very li- comparatively little. Uh, my current brick of 300 waiting to go through my rifle is from them. Um, from what Was that customer appreciation? I think it was customer. That was their uh, spring ammo sale. Spring ammo sale. Bulk ammo sale. They do, um, yeah, so I bought basically a commercial, like what you would pull boxes of rounds from to put on a shelf. A box of 300 blackout for like 190 bucks. Yeah, it was a good price. That was a really good price. Um, I mean, it's it's still target ammo. It's FMJ, but you know, it's uh, freaking sweet. Um, and Jeremy, to answer to respond to your comment, yes, Glock is in fact perfect. Glock is only perfect because it works. It's actual ergon- the ergonomics of Glock are not perfect, but they're passable. What what did you carry here tonight? A Walther. Did you carry a Walther? It's out in the car, yeah. No, 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 no. That's what I'm talking about. No, not that one. We oh, we're not we're not going to talk about. No, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I carry a Glock 48. Um, most of the time, uh, I do also have a PPSM2 that knocked over around. I'll never get rid of either one of them. They're both solid firearms. Um, I thought about getting going into the double stack realm of the 19 at one point and decided against it, um, not for any particular reason other than they still have that ridiculously stupid grip angle. I like the clock grip angle. <laughs> I like it. I feel like I get... Well, it, it's suited to my shooting style. It's suited to... I feel like I get a more positive feel on the weapon than I do with... My, my fa- favorite shooting pistol that I own is the Canic TP9 SFX. Canics are... I hate to say it because they're cheap and they're Turkish, but, man, Canics are fucking amazing value for what they are. Jesus, they're really good. Now, they're huge. They are huge. The one that I have is. 
Well, I mean, they, all they, of them, no, grip-wise, the, the though. The regular TP9 is, has the overall same dimensions as a 19. It's a lot fatter. Not it, really. It feels way fatter in my it hand. It feels fatter, but that's because the angles on the back on the back strap of the grip aren't as, like on a Glock, they, it kind of blends back. Whereas on the Canic, it has a little bit more of a polygonal shape to the Yeah, it, it's really square, I think is, is what it is. It's it a is. really square grip. And I'm not a massive fan of that that grip shape. I Jeremy, do like it's it a Taurus. No. What do you guys think about the Taurus? I don't even need to hear the rest of it. It's a Taurus. It's garbage. If you want a 22 pistol and you want one at a really decent price, either spend the, a little bit extra money and get the Ruger SR-22 or even the uh, Mark IV, which is a phenomenally shooting pistol. Or, if you're not on that kind of a budget, look at the GSG, German Sporting Guns. Oh, the GSGs are phenomenal. Um, they make two different ones. The GSG Firefly, which is actually nothing more than a six-hour mosquito. Or, the GSG 1911-22. It is a 1911, but it actually works. It's a 1911 that works because it's only in 22. and you know. Right, um, and with mine, I can, I can bang a... Eight inch gong at fifty yards. Yeah, and it's you know, and I've shot yours a lot, and I really like it. I do actually. It's it's really nice. It's handy. It's you know, I mean, obviously that's not little squirrel gun. Yeah, it's. I imagine that's probably it's a blast. And because it is nineteen eleven, it admittedly has a decently length barrel and a nice Mm -hmm. long sight radius, so it's it's pretty damn accurate. Five inch barrel, um, sight radius, I believe, is six and a half inches. Yeah, so it's it's actually it's it's a good gun. Um, although, I mean, when it comes to plinkers, I gotta say, 22 plinkers, GSG kind of almost beats everybody, just because the, the variety of stuff that they make in 22 long that is just cool for a plinker. Like the 19, or the, uh, M&P, or MP9. Yeah, MP9 they, 22? yeah, they have, they have an MP5 clone, That's what um, I mean. that has, uh, it's actually an MP5 SD clone That's that true. they make too, um, that has a false, uh, suppressor on the end that just slides over the barrel. Um, and, and they make an STG 44. No. 22. Yes. Okay, I need to find this. I have only recently become aware that this thing existed because one came up for sale on <laughs> arms list. Jason. <laughs> can bang a gong at 50 yards. That needs to be a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is definitely true. That is definitely true. Uh, see you, Brett. Have a good night. Drive safe. Brett's a long haul. He's an OTR. Okay. Charger. Um, yeah, Jason, I agree. That should definitely be a shirt. You know, really, I think we could probably start Iron Harvest as just like a, a gun t-shirt company. Probably. That would actually be a lot of fun. We, we could start doing that and just making gun t-shirts. Um, I mean, you could even... Um, there's a... I hate to say it plug another guy like that, but uh, Bunker Branding? Yeah. I mean, all you gotta do is sign up with them, tell them what you wanna do, and... Hmm. Yeah, that might be something fun. That's certainly something. If I if I see a lot of interest from you guys in, uh, in some of the, the t-shirt designs um, that I might suggest over the next couple of days for Iron Harvest, I, I might actually start making t-shirts. I've always kind of wanted to own a uh, t-shirt. 
a t-shirt company. A t-shirt company, yeah. That, that, that's always seemed fun. Um, Jeremy's got a 12-hour shift tomorrow, so we'll see you later. We're probably going to end this pretty soon here. We've been on here for like an hour and a half. Um, oh, that's shorter than usual. It, it is a little bit. I'll, I'll, we'll probably do like another 15 minutes or something. Um, the CMMG mutant exists because AR people wanted the ability to reliably feed 7.62 by 39. Period. End of story. Because uh, the, the ARK just isn't enough? No. <laughs> I know somebody who has one of those. I've seen a couple. I've only ever seen them in pawn shops, so I've never actually fired one, so I have no idea what they handle like. Um, but I don't imagine it's great. It, they handle like an AR. But right, but if you want a 7.62 round out of an AR, what's wrong with this? The 7.62 by 39 has much better terminal energy than 300 Blackout. But I can suppress 300 Blackout. You can suppress 300 Blackout. <laughs> But if you're looking for something that has more energy in the same, more or less the same diameter. Is it actually more energy, though? Because it's got to be, like, negligible. No, it's actually a fairly significant. Really? Because even if you, if I'm not mistaken, even if you push, uh, say, comparable rounds, the 125 grain out of a 300 blackout versus a 123 grain, out of the out of something that shoots seven point six two by thirty nine, uh, your velocity is generally uh, depending on what distance you're shooting at. Your velocity is going to be a fairly significant jump because your case capacity is higher. Well, velocity is going to matter because remember when you increase the velocity of a round. Fun fact for all of you listeners, viewers, whoever you are: um, when you increase the velocity of a round you increase the amount of energy it delivers at impact by a factor of three. When you increase the mass, you only increase it by a factor of one. It's important. <laughs> but, I mean, your case volume by itself, when you look at a uh, 300 blackout versus 7.62 by 39, I mean, you have almost one and three quarters the case volume, maybe two times the case volume? Well, you have more case volume, but, I mean, you can increase pressure simply by reducing case volume and maintaining the same amount of power, powder. Also, so. But if you're traveling on the same length of barrel. Well, same length of barrel. You're talking yeah, okay. about the same drag on the round before it even exits with half the, pre- or half the you know, powder, half the pressure behind it by the time it exits that you would out of a larger case yeah, maybe. I mean, I'd have to look at the math There's of it. There's a lot of but... difference, too, because most of your 300 blackout, I mean, this is where it gets a little muddled. A lot of your 300 blackout is loaded with pistol powders. Yeah, which, which burns nice and... Burning, mm-hmm. Faster burning than your rifle powders, but your... Which is why, yeah, that's why all of the custom-built 300, almost all the cut, not mine, but most of the custom 300, uh, 300 blackouts actually have the wrong length gas systems right. because they put them too far out. Right. You need a pistol length gas system. Yeah. You need a pistol length or at most a carbine. Mine's got a carbine. So at most a carbine. Away with it. Um, well, mine's a carbine primarily because uh, the, the, that weapon was built with the idea of putting a can on it. Okay. That's why mine's a carbine length. Um, and as long as it's a hot, fairly hot-loaded round, I've never had issues. Yeah, hot, and that, that's the other thing, too, is if you load your ammo hot, you know, higher on the powder side, 
then you know, say mine, mine don't mine aren't loaded exceedingly hot, but because they're all pistol length, they cycle fine. They're not my AR pistol is not overgassed, contrary to Andrew giving me shit for that. And most ARs are overgassed, just for the record. Almost everyone overgasses their ARs. My uh, and overlubes. Overlube is a big problem. But uh, and my AR rifle actually uh, will run them both. Will run both light loads and heavy loads remarkably well because while yes, it has a pistol length gas system, it runs a pigtail. And pigtails make a uh, make a big difference. They make a huge difference, actually. But it slowed the action down, so I didn't need a tunable gas block. I didn't need. So we're we're looking at uh, a link that was posted in the comments uh, about seven six two by thirty nine versus seven six two by what is three hundred blackout? It's seven six two by thirty five. Is it thirty five? I think it's thirty two. I think it's thirty five. But um, but I mean, even if you just look at the case head, the, ca- the case diameter, I mean, you could just about plunk a three hundred blackout inside one of. Oh yeah, I mean you definitely could, but well, you could plunk a seven six two by thirty nine round inside its case. Um, then you're not sizing your your brass correctly. Well, it's the neck though that holds it. It's, um, okay, so seven sixty reload. If you're if you go to seat your projectile and it drops straight in, use a different piece of virus. Please. Yeah, that's probably really bad. Because here's the thing, is even what what is it, four thousandths? Four thousandths of a difference in seat height for that round can increase the pressures inside that casing exponentially because of the reduced volume. Just in general. Um, but, well, I mean, it's just because of the reduced interior volume, it's it's something like a factor of four that yep. it increases the pressure. Yep. So you can blow your gun up because you seated the bullet seated too the deeply. Bullet too um, I've actually bought ca- uh, factory ammo where... I have had guns slam the bolt into the back really remarkably hard and realize that it was a round that when I'd loaded it, I noticed that it was seated awfully deeply. Um, and that's just, you know, that's like maybe a thousandth too deep that happened. And it, it just, wham! So, yeah, you got to be careful. Because um, you're not talking about Small amounts of pressure here. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of PSI, tens of thousands, tens of thousands, tens of thousands of PSI. So, it it's a huge amount of pressure. I mean, you're talking about enough pressure to literally take a piece of solid brass and bend it, <laughs> just from the nature of the pressures involved. So it's it's significant. Um, so yes, seven sixty by thirty nine is faster than three hundred. Looks like by about a hundred feet per second or so at the multi. However, um, their trajectories are almost identical. At two hundred and fifty yards, three hundred blackout has forty one additional foot pounds of energy. So. 
just reading through, and this is from Shooting Illustrated, and I do trust Shooting Illustrated in general. Um, yeah, and you'll never find seven sixty by thirty nine in sub. Yeah, they they just don't make it. Um, that's actually part of the reason why uh, the the um, AK seventy uh, fours were developed was because the the idea that you might want a subsonic round and you can get in five forty five by three yeah five four five by three nine uh, in subsonic. Um, that that is a thing that actually exists. Believe it or not, uh, it's super bizarre, but it does. Um, there was another rifle, uh, Russian rifle, that I looked at recently where I realized that it was entirely designed for subsonic rounds. Um, well, it sure wasn't the Mosin. No, 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 no. Um, it was... Oh, God. I honestly don't remember. I honestly don't remember. Um, it's a pistol caliber. Uh, it's designed for, like, submachine guns, but it's almost entirely designed around the idea... 762 by 35, yeah. I think I talked about it on my show a while back. Um, Which is just the length of the case. It doesn't account for the uh, diameter of the case head. Yeah, but it's uh, that one's almost entirely designed actually around the idea of suppressed fire. It was designed you're for not, Spetsnaz. Um, you're not talking about the uh, 9 by 39, are you? Yes. Yes, I am. I am talking about 9 by 39. I'm throwing a lot of numbers around and it's starting to confuse me. Yes, nine by thirty-nine is sounds right. Yes, where it's do- designed entirely around Spetsnaz and suppressed fire. But it uses the same case overall as a seven-six-two by thirty-nine. They just expanded the neck out to nine millimeter, right? And shoved a pistol bullet in it. Yep, and it allows them to run a suppressed weapon that still delivers supersonic levels of muzzle energy. Yep. Yeah. And it's all about energy, guys. It's all about energy at impact. It doesn't matter how fast the round is moving or how slow the round is moving. How much energy are you delivering on that target? And the important thing, too, with subsonic rounds to remember is that is where 45 ACP actually needs to exist. There's no other reason for 45 ACP to exist other than suppressed anymore. There's just not, because it doesn't deliver the same kind of wound capacity that a supersonic round does, because it doesn't create the hydraulic shock and cavitation. Um, But in subsonic, because you don't have cavitation, the wound channel that you create with that round is the only wound channel that round is going to make. So you just need a really fat, big round to make a really big hole. Yep, and that's why a lot of your subsonic projectiles are designed to expand into Mm-hmm. Because then, instead of creating a, in the case of 45 ACP, you have a 0.452 diameter projectile that would make just that big of a hole. But they're yep. designed to expand at that lower velocity, so your 0.452 projectile expands out to close to three quarters of an inch on impact. That's a really big hole. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of hole where if it's going through your abdomen, you're not going to be okay. Uh, it's even if it even if even if there's a massive miracle that it doesn't hit anything that's going to make you bleed out you're going to have organ damage it's a physical impossibility for you to not at that size um you're going to have organ damage you're probably going to be paralyzed yeah cuz i'd say you got about an 85% chance of that 
you're going to have a bad time if that hits you. Um, it's like, you know, I've laughed about 50 caliber rounds and, you know, and I point out to people and I actually just brought this up and I wanted to bring this up tonight too. Um, I got in a discussion with somebody who was completely flabbergasted that 50 BMG rifles are not sniper rifles. Saw that conversation. Yeah. Um, they were shocked that they aren't. Um, 50 BMG, first of all, was never designed for a semi-automatic rifle. The BMG is Browning machine gun. Uh, it was actually designed for the Madus, which is still in use by the United States military all these years later. Um, Fun fact about the Madus, I just read somewhere that they found one with a serial number of like 15. Holy crap. Still in service. Oh my god. So, which means that they have uh, maximum levels of reliability. Because mm-hmm. there are maxims. Um, I actually got to see one and got to shoot one at um, Knob, Knob Creek. I'm right, right? I'm not being stupid. It is Knob Creek? I think so. Okay. For some reason, I was like, oh, God, is it called Knob? Um, yeah, Knob Creek, uh, the machine gun shoot, I actually got to shoot a Maxim, um, which one is really fun. If you ever get an opportunity to fire your Maxim in three oh three, that's a that's a blast. No pun intended. Um, Every pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it had served with the British Army on the Western Front in 1914 through 1918 and then wound up being surplused out. <laughs> Take off, you hoser. Knob. Um, we're not that bad. We're not quite Canadian. Um, but it had served on the Western Front through most of World War One, firing who knows how many millions of rounds. Right. Uh, had then been surplused out and had only had a replacement barrel put into it in its entire life, and it was still almost 100% reliable. Wow. I could not believe it. Um, that is how good the Maxim machine gun really is. I mean, the thing is incredible. And it's because it's built like a tank. I mean, it's huge. It's incredibly heavy. Every part in it is massive. It's really hard to wear out a part that weighs six pounds on its own. <laughs> So, like, it runs forever. But the Maduce is not that, actually. I mean, if you look at the inside, it is massive. I mean, it's still a it massive is. weapon. But it's much lighter weight. And, uh... I mean, in a pinch, I mean, I wouldn't want to do it. But in a pinch, you could hump one around if you had to. Jesus, they're like... How much does Madu? It's 70 pounds? Yeah. Like I said, in a pinch, <laughs> you could. You I could. you want to. You better not have any other gear with you, because no. or the yeah. ammunition, or the tripod, or the guy behind you carrying the ammunition, the guy behind him with the tripod. <laughs> yeah, that's like a six-man move. That is not a pleasant experience. Um, you might as well be moving an artillery piece, because it basically is. Um, oh, yeah. But 50 BMG was developed as anti-material. It, it was not designed to shoot at soft, squishy things. It was designed to shoot at hard, very resistant things um and we use them in our aircraft uh and you know in an aircraft the fact that it's it's got this stupid arcy trajectory is still okay because when you're in an aircraft one the bullet's already been imparted with whatever your speed is and two you're already used to leading that target so you're just going to swing that nose out even further and just let it arc into your target so that's not a big deal 
Uh, on vehicles, 50 BMG is super handy because you're generally trying to shoot as you're driving, and so precision isn't a big thing, and you're trying to just hit the material around the person shooting at you because, and I realize video game players may not realize this, when a really big round hits a chunk of concrete, that chunk of concrete goes all over the place. <laughs> just to... Uh kind of put that into perspective a little bit. Back in the muzzleloader days, there was a thing called barking a squirrel. And that is where you shoot the tree next to the squirrel, and then you let the bark that comes off of the tree kill the squirrel on impact. That's essentially what you're doing when you hit something hard with a 50 BMG that has soft, squishy things inside it. Yeah, it... Your your goal isn't to hit the target directly with 50 BMG. That really isn't what it's designed for. What it's designed for is to punch through armor, punch through walls, punch through, you know, earthworks, ricochet off of earthworks, whatever. It's it's really more of an indirect, almost an indirect fire weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really fast-firing, very small artillery piece more than anything. Uh, and when the M82 was designed... The M82 was actually designed because after World War One, there was a lot of 50 caliber rounds, uh, or not World War One, sorry, World War Two. After World War Two, there was a lot of 50 caliber rounds laying around, like they produced an enormous amount of them. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but there was a lot of those rounds around, and guys were using it. Um for long-range shooting, because at the time, the rounds that we have available now for precision shooting didn't exist. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about the 1950s, 1960s, in as late as when when Barrett decided he was going to build his legendary gun into the late 80s, early 90s. Um, Heading into that, you didn't have a lot of precision rounds that existed that could reach out over a mile accurately. The 50 kind of could, once you got to know the round. And there's a lot of that surplus ammo, but what people were having to do was build these one-shot bolt-action rifles for it to be able to shoot it, because nothing existed that you could like just shoot that. So Barrett looked at that and went, you know, I bet you I could build a semi-auto gun that would shoot that. Reliably. Reliably. And the M82 uh, wound up being born out of that. The M82A1, A2, A3, the M107. Um, M107, I think we're up to M107D now. Um, those are born of that, but they were never... The, that round was never meant to be a precision round. And if you actually look at its trajectory, it's kind of a lob. It's a big round. It's not moving particularly fast. When you consider mass versus velocity, though. Yeah, so it just kind of... Whomp. In comparison to real sniper rounds, like the 338 Lapua, or uh, 6.5 Creedmoor, or um, the 480 Shytag. Yep. If you can get your hands on it. Good luck. Because um, only one person makes it. Cheyenne Tactical. Who makes, you may have heard of it, the TAC Intervention. It's a Cheyenne tactical intervention uh, in 480 Shytac, um, but it's called Shytac because it's Cheyenne tactical. And I think the only ones who still make it. I think they made a deal with some, another ammo manufacturer recently, 
to start producing uh, 480. Um, but those are really flat shooting, especially the 338 is a really yeah. flat shooting round at distance because it's moving really fast. So it goes very, very flat. And when you're shooting precision like a sniper does, a very flat shooting projectile is what you want. You don't want a round that you have to lob into your target and hope for the best. And and there's also a lot of question, you know, with the Geneva Convention and 50 caliber versus a soft target. Um, and whether or not that is, in fact, a violation of the Geneva Convention, intentionally using 50 directly on a soft target. Because if you've ever seen what a 50 round will do to a soft target... It's not pretty. It's, um, impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's one way to put it. Horror movie levels of gore. Let's put it that way. Um, it's, it, it is producing an enormous amount. A three um, meter holdover. Yeah, three meter holdover at a thousand meters. And a 25 meter holdover at 2,000 meters is 50 BMG. That's... A lot of holdover. Retarded. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Like, if you're thinking about, like, and keep in mind, when you're talking about 1,000 meters, you're starting into the point where trigonometry is really necessary because you have to factor in um, the Fibonacci effect and you have to factor in um, the rotation of the Earth. Coriolis. The Coriolis effect, sorry. Coriolis and Fibonacci. Because Fibonacci is the, the round slowing down. Right. And Coriolis is the Earth is moving underneath your round. <laughs> So those two, th- you have to start considering that here is no longer here by the time the round gets there. It's now over here. And you have to start considering that the round, as it slows down, it starts kind of doing one of these. It destabilizes. And it starts to, it start, and, and it is in the golden ratio. It's really neat to watch a diagram of it. But it is. It's actually the golden ratio. It, it spirals outwards um, as it slows down. And so you have to figure out if you're shooting at a target that far, not only do you have to figure out where that round is going to be in the next however long it takes that round to get there, which is a lot longer for a 50 than it is for a 338. But you also have to figure out where it is in that weird little spiral loop-de-loop and where the target has moved to on the Earth. Which is why sniping is actually weaponized math. (laughs) Because you've got to figure all of that out at that range. And a 50 is really hard to figure out at that distance. I mean, 50 has the advantage at that distance that because it's a, what, 700 and something grain bullet? Between 5 and 7, depending. Yeah, because it's an enormous round. It's still carrying, even at a slow velocity, a significant amount of energy. By sheer nature of its mass. But it's still trying to lob that fucker in is a pain. So if you're aiming at something that far away, instead of putting your crosshair up just a little bit above it, in the real world, video gamers, your crosshair is up over this way and your target's down over this way. Because you're factoring in that rotation. The rotation. The rotation of the Earth. Yep. And the fact that the bullet is dropping. And that's that's where you have to actually put your scope. Mm-hmm. And it's a pain. 
Um, I, I know a few snipers. I know one really remarkably good sniper, um, whose name I won't mention just because he's a dick. But <laughs> I was friends with him. Where he, he's a dick now. He wrote a book and he got kind of famous. And oh, just turned into a douchebag. Yeah. So, um, but uh, his name rhymes with dick. If anyone wants to go ahead and figure that one out. But. <laughs> uh he's he's complained about that that it, that kind of range like it just turns into you have a you have your dope book and it turns into furiously trying to flip through it and figure out mm-hmm. exactly where where you need to put that crosshair um you know and like sometimes you're dealing with like eighths of a mil makes a 30 meter difference at, at that distance at yeah. that distance and Ed, that gets that gets super annoying. Yes, he has been a guest star on some certain certain television shows, certain YouTube cha- YouTube channels. Yes, he's been on a couple of YouTube channels. He, uh, he even has his own now. He probably does. Oh yeah, he deleted me off of his Facebook like a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because I got in an argument with uh, another guy from uh, the same unit, well, our I, unit. I, and, I believe uh, the, the yeah. term you used to describe this particular individual was a glory hound, wasn't it? Uh, eh, he kind of turned into one. He he didn't start that way, but he's he's definitely kind of become one, and it sucks. But you know that's that's fame, man. That's what happens. Um, yeah, he's, he is one of the finest shooters I've ever seen, though. I mean, he is absolutely mind-blowingly good. He is really good. <laughs> um, he's, I've seen him do things with just a 7.62 round at extreme ranges that I never My thought. 39? Uh, 7.62 NATO. Oh, okay. Um, that I thought 308. Yeah, well, yeah, um, we won't get into that. Basically, three hundred eight. That's just lower pressure than a three hundred eight. Yeah, but I've I've seen him do things with that uh, out of an M fourteen that I did not think was uh, possible. He's he's really really good. Him with a three thirty eight Lapua, uh, no one is safe within probably a mile and a half. I mean, the guy's really good. He is, but. <laughs> Biden said you have to keep punching when addressing domestic violence during the debate tonight. Ah, uh, depending on who's listening to that. That's, uh... Classic Biden? <laughs> yes. Crazy Uncle Joe strikes again. Just buy a shotgun. Blam. Fire two blasts. Yeah. Joe, you know that's a felony, right? Um, <laughs> what you've just recommended is that people commit a felony. Um... Yeah, I can't stand Biden. Biden's a freaking idiot. I can't stand any of them. I can't either. But I mean, Biden is like he's he's not only an idiot, but he's also really racist. And and then he tries to play it off as I'm not racist or a pedophile. Yeah, or a pedophile. Come here, little girl. Oh, that's good. Like, yeah, no, you're. Yeah. I love that one <laughs> picture where Biden is like smelling the girl's hair and the little boy standing off the side like what the fuck are you doing yeah yeah he's looking at him like what the hell is wrong with you yeah biden's creepy motherfucker he is a creepy motherfucker 
there's the link. <laughs> Keep pun. Yeah, it's, it, if uh, you're viewing this later on in on Facebook Live, there's a link in the comments. If you're viewing this on YouTube, unfortunately, I am way too lazy to post any of the links. Uh, and if you're listening to this, uh, it's up to Jason because he's the one who posts it. So, um, Google it. Yeah, Google that stuff. Yes, you have to keep punching for domestic violence. <laughs> that was not the words you wanted there. You know, that, that wouldn't be a bad place for him to insert his buy a shotgun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I, in my personal opinion, the way that women address domestic violence is to buy a gun. And end the issue. Um, simply take care of it. I'm personally, a, I would say that any domestic violence, whether it's male or female, as the aggressor, I mean, a, a woman can still do a lot of damage. Yeah. I'm a survivor of female on male domestic violence for years. Right. So um, that's, yeah. It, if you are legitimately in danger of gross bodily injury or you know death by chance shoot them shoot them I don't care if they're male female white black yellow take your pick yeah I'm an equal opportunity killer I don't discriminate if you deserve it you deserve it I don't care what you are or who you are um and if you're beating the crap out of your significant other uh you deserved that no we we massively digressed over this last hour we have. We never talked about my interesting story on the way down. We, yeah, we need to, you know what, we're, we're going to end here, we're going to wrap up pretty soon. So, um, Chris had to bring these guns from a fairly significant distance away. And on the way, he may potentially have been going slightly higher in speed than... The sign says I'm allowed to travel. Right. Um, officially, according to the... Uh, the bludgy that decided he was going to pull me over. State Patrol, by the way. Um, officially, I was traveling at 64 miles an hour in a 55 zone. Which is a, a minuscule ticket. I mean, it's like 50 bucks. So it wasn't really even worth his time to pull me over. But apparently he was bored. Or I looked suspicious driving my Saturn. I don't know. Ah, uh, those suspicious Saturns. Right? And uh, he gets me over on the side of the road, and as they all do, he walks up to the vehicle with his flashlight out, and he's shining it in the back, and he sees three gun cases. And he's, you know, license, registration, insurance, blah, 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 blah. And he says to me, so what do you got in the back? I said, I got three firearms. Oh. Well, I see they're all cased. Do you mind if we take a look at them? I was like... Well, I was in a hurry to get here, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to humor this guy, get this done, get this over with, and hit the road. For the record, I recommend always saying, no disrespect, but I do not ever consent to searches. Correct. And I would normally fall under that category as well. But like I said, I was in a hurry, and I was hoping, beyond hope, that this would just be quick, look, go, and get out of it. Um, alas, that was not the case. All pun intended, because they were all cased firearms. Um, opened up the rear hatch on my car, and sure enough, he says, well, can you open that one? So I open the first one, uh, zip open the case, and inside it is the rifle that we used on the show tonight. The actual rifle, not the SBR. And he goes, oh, okay. 
and closed it up, moved it out of the way. So I was like, all right, open that one. The next one I opened was the SBR. And he takes one look at it and goes, it seems awful short. It's like, well, if you look at it, it's engraved. It's an SBR. He goes, well, do you have your Form 4? Fortunately, <laughs> the guy, illegally or technically, he's not supposed to be able to ask for it. I don't have to have it on me in order to transport the fire. But try telling Bludgies that. Right. So, uh, fortunately, it was with, and I got it out, showed it to him. He looked at it. Okay, I don't think he had a clue what he was actually looking at. He folds it up, puts their hands it back to me. I put it back where it's supposed to be, and we move on to the third case. And this is where things get really funny. I open up the third case, which, as you've probably guessed, is the pistol, which is bigger in appearance, anyway, than the SBR. And he asks me, well, where's your form for for that one? I was like, that one doesn't require a form for He goes, looks like a rifle to me. I said, I'm sure it does look like a rifle to you, but that is actually a pistol. If you look at the back of it, that is an SB, uh, SBA4 uh, pistol brace on the back end of it. <laughs> and barrel length, overall length, this is actually a pistol. And I was mistaken, actually, because... At the time, I said this is actually a firearm, not a pistol, because it was, I thought it was over 26. Turns out it's 24 inches, but I digress. <laughs> and he starts kind of arguing me, with me a little bit. He's like, "No, that's an S, that's a short barrel rifle. You got to." I was like, "No, what you're missing here is that if I take this off and I took the brace off the back end, said since this is classified as a pistol, we measure it without the brace." Not with the brace. And he goes, I don't understand. Shocked face. <laughs> <laughs> and What, a cop didn't know the law? Right? And finally I just kind of, I was like, look, this is legal. You know, give me my ticket or give me my warning and send me on my way. And he... He said, okay, well, he went back to his car. Rent. At this point, he hadn't even run my information yet. So then he finally runs my information. He comes back and he says, well, everything checks out. I did look it up, and yes, you're right, that does classify as a pistol and blah, 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 blah. And he said, you have yourself a nice night. It's like, I know it classifies as a pistol because guess what? I built it. <laughs> <laughs> When bludgies encounter people who know more about guns than they do, it's... But, I mean, that's how confusing it is. It is. It, that, that's I mean, how to confusing. The, to the casual person, yeah, it is absolutely confusing. But if you actually care, then it's really easy to go, that's a pistol, that's a rifle. But if you're clueless, or, you know, you just... Respect my authority! Yeah, then that's what you get. Well, and that's, and that's the thing, though, too, is what that story highlights is that even the people who are willing to murder you to enforce those laws do not know or understand the laws that they are willing to murder you over. They have no idea. And according to the Supreme Court of the United States, are under no obligation to learn it. To know what laws they're willing to kill you over. 
Just like under the Supreme Court, law enforcement is not required to hire high IQ individuals. Yep, they're actually uh, actually the Supreme Court uh, ruling is specifically that they are allowed to discriminate against high IQ individuals. Oh, because what status wouldn't want mindless drones enforcing their arbitrary edicts? Exactly, and that was effectively, if you actually read that case, that was basically the state's argument was. Well, people who are too smart won't follow orders very well. Which is probably why the mo- a lot of new officers coming up are former combat vets that were really good at following orders. Very, very good at following orders. Not very good at... You know, you can be a very good soldier or a good person. You can't be both. You can't be both. It's... I mean, especially in combat. You, you can be a very good soldier. You can be really good at being a soldier. Or you can be a very good person. You cannot do both at the same time. Um, And it's the same thing with being a cop. You can be a good cop. Or you can be a good person. You cannot do both. Well, if you were a good person, you wouldn't be a cop. Well, yeah. I mean, I've known some small town... like, and, And I always argue this, too. Like, county sheriffs. County sheriffs can be pretty decent people. Um... Because they're elected, they're still accountable to their electorate. electorate and I their... can point to one particular that, yeah, he was he's a decent person. Is uh, Scott Perkins, former sheriff from Monroe County. Mm-hmm. Good guy. Um, I've known his family for a long time. For those of you that don't know, my late mother was a 19-year veteran of the Monroe County Police Force. But uh, she, I mean, even seeing how things have changed from when I was a kid... To now in Monroe County, the militarization the of America's heavy militarization. Police. I mean, they do the national night out every year, mm-hmm. and all it is is a show of force by the police department demonstrating this is our awesome power. Yep, it's it's the same thing as the the military parades in communist countries. Yeah, more or less, just on a much smaller scale. So it seems like it's more intimate between people. Yeah, whereas actually. When you're at the park, in, in my case, in Toma, when you're mm. at the park in Toma and the MRAP comes rolling through the park, and yeah. the SWAT guys <laughs> jump out of the back of it and then they swarm a guy in a bite suit who's being chased by the dog. <laughs> it's like, okay, what was the point? Yeah, what was the point? It's because if you, you have those toys, you want to break them out. Right. You know? Um... And that's and that you see that with police all over the place. Where if they get the toys, which they can get for free, mm-hmm. um, or severely reduced costs, yeah, they they will they will want to use them because mm-hmm. well, but I want to use this. I want to see how this thing works, you know. And um, you know, one of the interesting things that I learned today, uh, because in Lacrosse, one of our local police dogs was injured. Was injured. And uh, quite badly. Oh, the wife joined. Yep. All the fun's over now. Yep. Gotta keep quiet. <sighs> well, but, I guess that wraps up. Yeah. I need to call it quits. But he was injured. One of the local police dogs was recently injured um, on a bust, from what I understand. No, it was the demonstration. Oh, it was a demo. That's right. Yeah, he, it was he, for elementary school kids. Yeah. Uh, and he was hurt badly enough that he'll never be able to be a police dog again. He's retired early. Um, 
And they were doing a fundraiser to get a new police dog, which obviously, no. Just, I'm not demonstrating, I'm not, I'm not doing that. With as bad as I wanted to be able to play any song I wanted to on 95.7. And they literally meant any song. Like, their conditions was, as long as I can get it past the FCC, or edit it to where it's acceptable under FCC standards. Okay. And he's like, and I can, any song, you will be able to pick it. And I will play it during prime time on the radio. And with as bad as I wanted to get This Is What Happens When You Call the Cops as the song (laughs) to be played, with as bad as I wanted that, um, I was not willing to donate to a police drug dog cause um, in order to accomplish that particular little fuck you back to the police. Um, but I found out through that that uh, apparently in Lacrosse, unlike most places, the police, the canine units are entirely public donation funded. Mm-hmm. Not a dime of taxpayer money goes to the canine units. It is entirely uh, local donations. If I recall, when they first started the canine unit in Sparta. It was the same way. Now, recently when they added a second dog, that the dog was acquired through public donations, but all the upkeep comes from taxpayer dollars. Actually, it probably comes from road fines, but, you know, yeah. pirates are going to pirate. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, last fall, actually, I went through the Sparta PD's uh, Citizens Academy. Yeah. And... You know, I I did it as kind of a learn thy enemy type of thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, to be fair, when we went out, when we had our range day, they did let us play with full auto M14s. M14s? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I imagine that was interesting. Well, you know, they gave full. you they gave you a stump to shoot at, and you just yeah, kind of held it, held the bank switch down and went to town. Yeah, I mean, a full power rifle and, and full auto is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an, an experience. Ex- that is an experience. It is a. It is definitely an experience. But that's I've, the only thing uh, they use them for. Is playtime. They don't actually use them for anything in the field because well, what are you going to use what? a full auto three hundred eight for? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like I, I got to try out an H car um, a few years ago, and uh, I actually loved the H car. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Um, for what it's designed for, it's incredible. To be honest with you, but in full auto, it's just. Ridiculous. Every time it fires, your entire world just kind of ceases to exist for a moment. <laughs> so you're just going bam, 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 bam. Because it's 30 30. Or, sorry, 30 out 6. It's 30 out 6 in full, in full auto. So as it's oh. firing, every single time it fires, you're just like white, 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 <laughs> white, white, white. And that's about the staccato of it is bang, 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 bang. And it just, I mean, everything shakes, everything mm-hmm. goes white, you can't hear anything, you can't see anything, you can't really feel anything because your face actually hurts from the blast. I don't know how they used BARs, ever. Because... They were better men than we. Apparently, or they already had significantly damaged hearing so that, that it didn't it didn't affect them that much. Because, Jesus, I mean, they didn't have ear protection, anything else. Can you imagine firing that thing? It just, 
mind wiping. It's a mind wiping experience. I absolutely recommend it because it's a hell of a lot of fun. But uh, mind wiping in combat, I can't even imagine trying to use that thing for anything at all. Because it's it is the equivalent of using a fifty with a, a BMG with the nice long barrel, like an Amadeus with the nice long barrel on it. Yeah. With a blast shield. <laughs> it is the equivalent of using that. It's the same level of just holy Jesus. god. But it's in your hands. So it's just oh god. It's just insane. And and M14s are very similar. I mean where it's a full powered rifle round and when in full auto every single shot is just <laughs> uh, I will say that that stump never knew what hit it by the time I got done with it because they let me the, f- the first time you line up they give you three rounds in a magazine so they're actually five you shoot two semi-auto and then they flip the happy switch for you and you shoot the last three in full auto um, the second time I went through because I demonstrated proficiency at controlling the recoil they gave me a full ten round magazine <laughs> <laughs> and I was, he's like, do you want a couple of warm-ups on semi? I was like, no, let's go full happy right now. <laughs> and he flipped her over, and I just held her down and, and cut that stump But, oh, man, that was that was a lot of fun. That's uh, that's going grandfather style because it's, mm-hmm. it's an M14. I mean, that's, that's what... Chan- I mean, our generation, our grandfathers would have used because it's Vietnam. I mean... Early Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, well, they they used it right through to I think I think even when we pulled out in '77, I think we we're still using M14s in some roles. In some roles, um, but I mean, not, it wasn't a, you know, every average foot soldier had one. Oh like no! Well, that was na- I don't think that was ever the case in in uh, when they first in Vietnam. started Vietnam, like sixty five, sixty five, sixty four, sixty four. They, they hadn't fully adapted the M16 to combat roles until. 66, 67. Yeah, that's true. So they would have had a few more um, at the time. Did they have... Was it just M1s? M1 Garands in uh, in Korea? Or did they have M14s by then? They, yeah. they had M14s. In yeah, because M14s I think would have been 51, 52. Yes. So, um, yeah, you would have had M14s in Korea. I could see using them in Korea. I could actually see where an M14 would have actually been a decent gun for Korea. A lot of brush. Well, a lot of brush, and more importantly, uh, just like the... Because the reason the H-car was developed was because what they realized in Afghanistan is that uh, the average infantry um, platoon, at a platoon level, Mm -hmm. didn't really have the longer-range firepower that was needed for mountain-to-mountain engagements. Because obviously a 5.56 is useless. That might as well not exist. Um, mountain to mountain. So are you talking about like almost like a DMR type of situation? Yeah, basically. It was, uh, well, a combination, because, see, we, we had DMRs, um, but the DMRs are mostly in 308. And they're semi-auto only. And the problem with that is that, well, yes, you can probably reach out and hit things at the greater range. The issue is that you... Don't I mean you have a let in general again because this is this is the idea is it's a general squad you know uh, which is or a general platoon which is a pair of squads within those squads you have a pair of machine gunners but chances are very good that they're both armed with saws 
Yep. Which means that's five five six. Mm-hmm. So again, even in full auto, it might as well not exist at that range. No. Because if you manage to get around or five into the general area of that person. They are going so slow and tumbling so bad by then. No energy. Yeah, they might as well not exist. So... Bring back the 60. The, well... (laughs) There's just 308 and M60. It's just a 308. It's going to carry a lot more energy at distance. Yeah. But, I mean, that's what we had the DMR for. But the problem is that that's only single shot. There's no suppressive real element Mm -hmm. to that. Um, So the idea of the H car was that you would combine a, the DMR capability that you had in the M14 with the full auto capability of a 240B without the added weight and bulk that is associated with having a 240B in your squad. So this was this idea, was it? it allows you to reach out further and hit targets at range. It allows you to put suppressive fire on targets at range, relatively accurately, I might add. Um, but it's still very squad mobile. Hmm. And that was the idea. And the H car, I think, actually fills that role really, really well. It's certainly not the world's most ideal gun for that. I think if you really purpose-built from the ground up something for that, you could build one. Mm-hmm. But the H-Car was something that uh, Ohio Ordnance could... They had the licenses, obviously because they're Ohio Ordnance, so they had the licenses yeah. from Auto Ordnance, what they used to be, mm-hmm. um, for the BAR, which is all the H-Car is. It's a BAR with um, polymer furniture. That's it. That's literally all it is. Um, so, check the old stuff. Yep, it, it's just a, it's a lighter weight BAR, more or less, uh, with a better optic and a, you know optic rail system and things, and um, and it works really well. It's a hell of a lot of fun to shoot. It's it is compared to a BAR lightweight. That needs to be said. That's a caveat. Compared to a BAR, it is lightweight. However. This is keeping in mind that a BAR fully loaded is like 18 pounds or something ridiculous. It's, I mean, it's, I think, unloaded with no ammunition or anything. I think it's still like a, like a freaking, like, 12-pound gun. Like, it's insanely heavy. Um, and the first time you pick one up, if you ever get a chance to pick up a BAR or a Colt Monitor, uh, which is BAR light for uh, that era... Um, either one of those, the first time you pick it up, you're just like, oh my god! <laughs> it's heavy as hell. Um, kind of like picking up my 300 rifle. Yeah, well, the, the, the 300s are... I mean, the, the rifle isn't bad. What I noticed, though, again, and, and I, I don't think I mentioned this on the show yet, uh, that pistol is really front-end heavy. You mean the SBR? Or the, the SBR, sorry. The SBR is really front-end heavy. There's a lot of weight out front, not a lot out back. Um, the balance is just not there. <laughs> but um, I'd love to do an ultra-lightweight SBR, maybe. That might be fun sometime. CF uh, handguard, okay. pencil barrel, you know, ultra-lightweight lower, ultra-lightweight upper. Could be interesting. Yeah, that could be, that could be interesting. Get it under, get it to like like a four-pound gun in 5.56. 
That could be a lot of fun, actually. That could be a really handy little gun. Um, future project, when I have millions of dollars, because it would cost a fortune. Um, you have a lot of those. Yeah. Well, my ultra lightweight build that I already have only partially figured out uh, is already probably going to be close to three grand by the time I'm done. In parts. Um, and worth every penny because it's going to be f- under five and a half pound carbine. Mm. Um, which is beautiful. And that's with a loaded mag. So, that's a handy gun. Um, but, no, the, so what I was saying though is it, the H car was, was a, you know, was designed for a specific role. And it does it okay. It's not great, but it does it okay. I mean, it's still definitely a heavy gun, but not as heavy as a 240 with a, a fully loaded box mag and a belt and all of the accoutrements because you're not carrying, it's not like you're carrying one fifty round belt with you when you're rocking the 240. You have five or six of them in a backpack and somebody else in your squad's got four or five of them in their backpack. Like, right. you have quite a few, so you're, you know, you're carrying a lot of dope. On that gun, um, and it's it's heavy. Uh, the H car, you have mags, and they're polymer now. They have hmm. polymer mags. Uh, they're still a BAR mag. Is the crazy thing? They're actually a BAR mag, um, and they will go into. I've been told BARs because nothing's changed in there. The the mag catch, everything is still in the same place. Well, like you said, they basically took a BAR and put plastic furniture on a rail mount. Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah, the the H car is a hell of a cool gun. Um, it is a lot of fun to shoot. Although every time I used it, I definitely preferred it in semi-auto because it's a thirty out six. <laughs> and in full auto, I mean, my first round might be on target. My second round's going to be wide. My third round, who knows where that's going? Uh, somewhere that direction. Yeah, somewhere in the same zip code as Maybe. my first shot, but. Maybe. I mean, yeah. if you're in an area like Lacrosse, you could be in five four six oh one on the south end and Atlanta in 03 in the north end. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> yeah, and that's a lot of mass in a thirty odd six round. That's a oh, yeah. lot of mass. Grain pills. Yeah, coming in and I mean they're not going super fast either. I mean it's not like they're screamers, but they're it's an increased lethality idea. It's the same thing as what three hundred blackout was designed for, four fifty eight SOCOM too. Because four fifty eight SOCOM was not designed for the civilian market. No. It was never designed for it. 458 SOCOM was the answer to a very specific question. And that question was presented from special forces. We need a round that we can use in an M4 or M4-like platform that has enough mass to penetrate light cover like drywall walls, Mm -hmm. um, cinder block walls, ideally, um, things like that, but that will not require a complete manipulation and change of our logistics. Makes sense. And that was the question that was presented kind of to the civilian contractor firearms world by by, by JSOC was, so we have this issue, and the issue is that we're operating in a lot of urban environments now, um, a lot of environments with mud bricks, um, and, you know, and, and thinner walls, but still thick enough that 5.56 five, ain't gonna do it, 
um, where we're taking fire from 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 hidden positions where people have light cover, um, and you know, and we're having issues striking back properly. And we want to be able to run it in shorter barreled weapons so that they're highly maneuverable. Um, ideally, we'd like to suppress it and be able to suppress it easily. Um, so we need something that we can suppress and still have plenty of lethality and penetrating power. So we need serious mass. But we don't want to have to entirely alter our entire supply chain, all of our logistics. So we don't want to have to swap mags. We don't want to have to swap guns. We don't want we don't want these things to have to change. So we need cycles out of a standard mag, isn't it? Yeah. You use a five five six mag. That's what I thought. Yeah. A stand mag uh a will work. Um for four uh, for four fifty it's so common. It's designed to. Uh you can use a standard uh AR mag for five five six. Uh, well, five five six, two twenty three Remington, three hundred blackout, uh, six point eight SPC, four fifty eight SOCOM. Can you use it for six point five Grendel? No, no, that's that's a Grendel, step up. Has okay, but that's still a significant number of rounds. Yeah. What about four fifty eight Hammer? Is that probably AR ten LR three hundred eight platform? I would imagine. No, that's AR-15 platform. That's still AR-15? Okay, so 450, yeah, so that's probably a standard mag. Would be my guess. I mean, it's obviously a different bolt phase. Yeah, very different bolt phase. But you're still, I mean, it's a relatively limited amount of changes to an AR platform that need to be made. Pull the upper off, slap into upper on, and change your magazine. Yeah, and that, that was the idea behind 458. Um, which is why 458 exists, and actually why 300 exists. 300 Blackout was the same thing. It's the answer to the same question. There are competing answers, actually, to the same question, which was JSOC needs something where we can penetrate these walls and, and, like, cars. Like, we want it to be able to go through one door of the car, cross through the interior, out the other door of the car, and still have a measure of lethality on the far side of that vehicle. Um, and I could definitely see that, especially you know, with the three hundred blackout, when a, especially in a full metal jacket round. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, in a war situation, you're not using expanding ammunition anyway. Yep, because you're not allowed to. Um, which I still think is shit. But it's still, but I mean, the, the, that's the thing that, that like a lot of people who are into like a lot of all of these novelty rounds in the civilian world don't get is that a lot of these rounds have literal almost literally zero application to the average civilian at all. There is no reason for a normal civilian to now not that I'm saying that you shouldn't have access to it or anything else. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is there's no reason for you to bother to spend the money on it. Cuz it's not answering a question for you. It's not doing anything for you that there aren't six other cheaper options out there to, to use that are probably better. It's 458 SOCOM um and uh, like 458 SOCOM, 458 Hammer were designed to answer, and 300 Blackout to a lesser extent, because 300 Blackout actually has some serious civilian applications, obviously. Um, but they were designed to answer very specific questions asked by people who needed very specific answers. And that's why they exist. 
because the idea was let's put the largest amount of mass in with as close to the same case head as we can with 556 so that we can minimize the logistical changes that are needed for supply chain um, but will be still handy and very very useful in modern combat environments that uh, operators are finding themselves in and that's why they exist because I mean the bottom line is like 45 ACP was really what had been getting forced into that role largely 45 ACP um, the MP45 um, you know, where it, which is basically just a slightly oversized MP5. Mm-hmm. I mean, more or less. Um, that was largely what was getting forced into that role and it sucked at it, but it was better than nothing. So that's, what's getting forced into that role and it just isn't working. And so the issue is, Hey, we really like the size of the hole this makes. Can we make it go faster and put it in an AR? I mean, <laughs> that was... And 458 SOCOM gets born. Um, and, it's, and it works really well for what it's designed for. It will, If you fire 458 SOCOM at a collection of cinder blocks, you will see exactly why it got chosen. Because <laughs> it will blow those cinder blocks into chunks very, very quickly. And you will still see, if you put ballistic uh, gel on the far side of those cinder blocks, you will still get uh, a fairly significant mass of metal on the far side continuing through, Hmm. which is exactly what it was for. Um, The idea was, let's kill the thing on the far side of that wall. Um, It was the idea. Because when you're clearing a room, if somebody pokes an AK out of a door like this and just shoots, well, I don't want to have to actually stick my face into the muzzle of that gun to shoot that guy, I want to be able to hit him where I am. Yeah, if he's standing around the corner, then you just pump pump a couple of rounds into that wall. Right into that wall. Right. But if I'm in one of those, uh, like the Iraqi apartment complexes, a lot of them are built out of cinder block. So i got to be able to go through cinder block to get to him. Mm-hmm. So I need something that has the mass that can handle that. And we didn't. <laughs> like there was nothing in the U.S. Army inventory that could handle that, so that was when that bid went out. Like, hey, well, I would think. <laughs> I mean, it would be a terrible application for it, but I mean, you had uh, cartridges in the inventory that would do it, but you'd be packing around something like the uh, M14 because that would do it. It would go through a cinder block hole relatively efficiently, and with a good sized chunk of lead coming out the other side. Right, but there you're talking about that heavy ass M14 being humped around as a yeah. trying to clear door to door, and that's not going to work. Yeah, and even an M14 SOCOM is not a light or small weapon. I mean, it's really not, especially when compared to an AR and what you can achieve with an AR. Right. It's just not there, and and it's only semi-auto and, and in general where you're actually even accurate because once you go to full power. Your full auto in a full power rifle cartridge again, especially in an enclosed hallway. <laughs> as soon as you fire that once, which is what I always laugh about movies where they, even they fire pistols in like small rooms and they're like blam, and everyone's just still talking afterwards. And I'm like, no, no, that isn't how that works. No. You fire in that room and everyone's going, muh, muh, if they're even conscious. I was outside, <laughs> uh, took my kids out squirrel hunting a while back and. I dropped a squirrel out of the tree, but it was suffering. I was trying to put it out of its misery. Well, I wasn't going to use another 12-gauge shot round 
to put it out of its misery at point blank range. Mm, just obliterate it. Work, it. but I wanted to take some squirrel home. Yeah, I mean, you're just gonna have a puff of fur. <laughs> so, uh, and I took took my Canic because it's got a five point, it's got a long enough barrel, mm-hmm. five point three inch barrel. For small game in Wisconsin, you need a four four and a half inch barrel. It's like, well, the barrel's long enough. So I pulled that out. Way overkill, nine millimeter in the squirrel's head, but um, <laughs> it's worth doing. It's worth overdoing, right? <sighs> um, I pulled the trigger and I told my kids to back up because it was gonna be loud. I knew it was gonna be loud. I pulled the trigger and I was just like, "Ouch!" <laughs> and we were in open air. I mean, hilltop, plenty of nope. <laughs> yeah, way too loud. Yeah, it's. Uh, 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 f- even if it's fairly small outside of 22 because 22 is not all that loud but anything really bigger than that without ear- hearing protection is really loud and when you put that in a room where the sound is bouncing off of the walls and coming back at you again it is really loud I mean anyone who's ever fired in an indoor range knows that Right. it's really loud so imagine in some of these scenes in movies where people are firing like rifles in full auto, in, like, a sewer pipe. The opening scene of the movie Red comes to mind, where they're inside trying to clear the house, and <laughs> zero stars would not recommend. Exactly. <laughs> Who wants to listen to these idiots, Doc? It's, uh... I'm right there with you. This is terrible. Who are these people? This is terrible content. I'm with you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, just being up close like that. And we're talking we're not talking about anything big, we're talking about nine millimeter. Yeah. I mean that that's eardrum splitting it cl- in an in, in an open space. And then you put it in an enclosed area, I mean, it's not going to be fun. Yeah, imagine ten millimeter or a three fifty seven sure. in which are pretty equivalent. Um in an enclosed room and everyone's heads are like trembling because they can't see anything they can't hear anything it's a massive explosion um i mean that's literally what the detonation inside that case is is a massive explosion you're hearing a massive explosion in a small room what do you think that's gonna do and i think hollywood has contributed a lot to a lot of the anti-gun movement stuff um don't shoot inside. That's what I'm rating you, idiots. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. It's it's really. I would say like negative five would not recommend. Um, it is. <laughs> it is just. I mean, having fired inside rooms and enclosed spaces with hearing protection, it's still really loud. It's still kind of shaky and and kind of ruins your day. <laughs> Only a lot. But, I mean, I can't even imagine, like, the, you know, and, and if you watch the behind the scenes of a lot of those movies, you'll see that the actors have serious hearing protection in mm-hmm. and things to do it. And they're using a really, really underpowered blank right. to do it. Just enough, effectively, to make a muzzle flash and work the action. Right. Which is a custom-tuned action to use the minimal amount of gas. Um, so... There's actually a few guns out there where if you actually watch them in movies, they don't even behave the way they're supposed to. Oh, my personal favorite thing when you watch a movie is when somebody, you hear a hammer cock on a block. 
Yep, I've heard that. But no, um, I, I've actually discovered uh, a lot of the blank firing pistols they use in Hollywood because blanks don't have the kind of gas pressures mm-hmm. that you need. Um, there are a few that are designed with like uh, rotating barrels, like pistols with rotating barrels or with tilting barrels and things, right. where the gas from a blank isn't enough to actually work the action. So they convert them to a blowback gun. Oh. And if you're not super familiar with the guns, you won't catch it. But if you are, when you see it in the movie, you can tell that that's functioning as a blowback gun and the barrel is fixed and not tilting the way it should. <laughs> and once you notice it, it will drive you insane. Yeah, I notice stuff like that in movies all the time. Yeah. Um, and I only discovered that uh, through um, talking to a couple of guys who modify firearms uh, to fire blanks. And that was one of the things they told me, like, oh, yeah, there's a few. And I was like, I thought it, like, and they mentioned a few a few movies that I'm not going to mention because then you're going to look for it and it's going to drive you insane. And I don't want anybody else to be tortured like that because it ruins movies that otherwise you would love. But um, there are a few movies that he pointed out specifically and I went back and watched them. And, yeah, you can tell that the barrel isn't moving. It isn't tilting. A Mosin Nagant M4 for when you need M44. to kill or M44, for when you need to kill one person in the room, set the others on fire, and make their buddies in the next room temporarily deaf. That is completely accurate. That is what that would do. Well, I mean, Amber and I hunt with... She hunts with an M44, I hunt with a T53, which is the Chinese variant thereof. Mm. And, yeah, you really don't want to fire that thing in an enclosed space. Um, Her brother-in-law, actually, she got it for Christmas a number of years ago. Holy crap, that's been a while. And, uh, <clears throat> like, the day after Christmas, we took it over to her parents' house. And we're outside, because mm-hmm. I got a couple boxes of rounds to go with it, you know. Yeah, get a new toy, you want to go play with it, right? Yeah. Well, we went down below, and all of us have our hearing protection on. Her brother-in-law, who just got done with a tour overseas, mm-hmm. comes down there, and he's like, I want to shoot that. Okay. He's like, here, have some hearing protection. He's like, no, I don't need that. He shot it twice. I went, I need those. Yeah. Ouch! Oh, yeah, that'll ring, because, no, mm-mm, full-power rifle, don't shoot that without hearing. That's just <laughs> terrible. And when you watch a movie with someone who notices, they'll drive you insane. I do, I do that to Lindsay all the time. Um, it's not just you who does it. Um, I, drive, I do that to Lindsay all the time, where I will point out, like, that gun doesn't work that way. Or that is never what you'd use that gun for. Or there's no way you hit someone at that range with a pistol. Like, I've said that uh-huh. so many times. There is no way you hit someone at that. Or where they choose not to shoot someone with a pistol at a range that I'm like, no, you could probably do that. If you really wanted to, you could do that. And then they don't shoot because they're like, oh, they're out of range. And I'm like, this guy's a murderer who's going to go kill your best friend and you're not shooting at him? Like, even if you miss five out of six times, that one round Makes slows him down enough that you can catch up. Because I don't care what you're getting shot with. Getting shot is going to suck. <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you get shot with an air gun, it sucks. It hurts. Eh, as kids, we used to do single pump wars in the hay all the time. Well, one pump, yeah, but I'm talking like the CO2 or the pre-charged oh, no, rifle. No, 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 no. That's still hurts a lot getting shot with those. I can attest to you that getting shot with multiple calibers of rifle all suck. All suck. Pistol also sucks. Getting stabbed also sucks, by the way. But all of that... 
<laughs> but I digress. So does shrapnel. Shrapnel also sucks. Um, and burns. But uh, no matter what caliber it is, no matter how small it is, it's still going to suck significantly. Yeah, I, I uh, actually had this conversation with somebody who was an anti-gunner over on Miwi. And I posted a picture and it had every caliber from 22 long rifle all the way up to 50 BMG. And it says, which one of these calibers would you deem acceptable to be shot with? None. Because <laughs> I don't want to get shot. Right. Because <laughs> it hurts. Which goes to an important point, folks. If, you're gun- if all you can handle is a 22 long rifle, it's better to carry a 22 long rifle than nothing. nothing. Yeah. Better a 22 than nothing. If that's all you have access to, 22, getting shot with a 22 will hurt. The blast, if you are in front of the muzzle, will be disorienting, and in general, it will probably stand a pretty good chance of making anybody attacking you go, How? What's happening? And then stop. And if you shoot them repeatedly with that 22, they definitely will stop attacking you. Because <laughs> one round hurts, two rounds really hurts, anything three or higher might kill you and will definitely make you go, oh god, please stop shooting me. <laughs> Fun fact, twenty two long rifle has taken every game animal, including an elephant, on the face of the earth. Because it moves really fast. It does. Really fast. Um, or twenty two mag. Um, oh. Hell, even 17 HMR. You could kill somebody with a seventeen. Oh yeah, yeah. Because think of the think of the hydraulic shock off of that. Oh yeah, cavitation would be terrible. Oh, that that would that would be really nasty. Um, I mean, even like uh, the rounds that I use for for small game hunting, they're CCI velocitors. So yeah, the velocitors grain, are potent. You have a forty grain pill traveling. I think it's thirteen forty. Yeah, it's fucking booking. And. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, if you have a 10-round magazine out of a Ruger SR-22, for example, and you dump that magazine, which because you're not going to have much recoil, it's a freaking 22. And What's the statistics? Uh, what's the statistics for the survival rate with sequential hits? I don't know. But I would assume after the first... If you get hit more than one time, your odds of survival probably drop rather quickly? I mean, the the odds of surviving being shot with multiple rounds is actually remarkably high. Um, statistically, uh, even 10 rounds has a relatively low fatality rate. Um, it's about shot placement at that point. Yeah, it's, it's about shot placement. It's about where it hits you. Um, the highest I've ever heard of somebody surviving with basically no permanent injuries uh, for shots was 29 Jesus. Uh, that is a currently, I think he's still alive, Medal of Honor winner from Vietnam. Okay. Shot 29 times and continued to operate as a field medic after 29 hits. <laughs> I mean, and after like 20, you got to be like, are you serious? Really? <laughs> like, well, you, it doesn't even hurt anymore. Yeah, you got to be just looking at yourself just like, thump. again? Really? Come on, guys. Do we need to? Um, I mean, enough rounds, and you're going to die. Um, you know, 
There is actually uh, a company that made a kind of lookalike Thompson, but with a top mount, this really cool top mounted like disc magazine. Oh yeah, um, that was in twenty two long, that had like a fire rate of like twenty two hundred rounds a minute. And it's just like an angry nest of hornets. And it's just because <laughs> it fires, and it's and because it's only twenty two and it's a heavy gun because Thompsons are really heavy. Yeah. Um, when you fire it, it's rock solid. It doesn't move at all. Well, no. So you're just going. <laughs> when, my name. <laughs> yeah, and it's it is just and it's and it's like a, a like a hundred and fifty round mag. It's the mini bird. Yeah, it's and it is it's insane. You can't actually hear the difference in shots. It's just a continuous, and it fires. And the 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 magazines are translucent. So you, can watch so you can actually watch because you know they 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 uh, they load the same way that like a ten twenty two rotary mag. Uh yeah, well, kind of like a um, a Lewis gun, like think like a Lewis gun oh, mag, okay. where where they're they're stacked and they kind of spiral, mm-hmm. you know, into the mag. It's like that. So you just watch the brass just disappear <laughs> as you're firing it, and it's the neatest <laughs> thing. And I've always wanted one, and they're relatively cheap. They come in at, at like thirty five, thirty six hundred dollars. Plus two hundred dollar tax stamp, yeah. So they're actually not terrible. Um, and but I'm told an absolute blast to shoot because they're so there's zero recoil off of them, and they fire so fast that you can just draw lines in targets with them. And they were designed, believe it or not, they were designed and marketed to police departments for crowd control in the late 1930s. And I'm like, ah, oh, that would control a crowd, yes, because <laughs> you'd kill the first six people you shot, um, and be out of ammunition by person eight, uh, yeah. <laughs> just in the sweep. But I guarantee you, everyone else hears that and sees that, and everyone else is running. And you disperse that crowd. I'm not sure that that's what I would call a humane way to disperse a, a, a crowd, but it would be an well, effective I mean, we are way to do it. About, you know, the late 1930s. Well, and, not just that. I mean, we're Think about what we're talking about government controlling crowds of civilians. And yeah, they care. yeah, they don't necessarily give a shit. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool gun. I've always wanted one. I've always thought like if I was going to own any Thompson, that would be the Thompson type that I'd want. Just because it's, I mean, it really is just and it's just and empty. <laughs> yeah, and it's just well, that's the beautiful thing is like 150 rounds, so it's and then it's done. So, and it's just... It's like an electric impact when you hit the bottom. Yeah, I mean, it's effectively the equivalent in total metal mass of a 30-round mag of 5.56. But it's being dumped in a quarter the amount of time. Uh, it's got to be more than that, because most of if you're talking about... It's WMR, right? 22 mag? No, it's 22 long. Well, that would depend on what you loaded it with, too, because you can get... Well, yeah. Well, what it'll feed as well, because I mean, keep in yeah. mind you're trying to you're trying to feed something on one of those weird little uh, like slit uh, mag feeds, kind of like what you get out of the drum mags in a Ruger ten twenty two, but tipped upside down. Right. Um, you're trying to feed it out of that, and that bolt is just bebopping back and forth really quick. So, I mean, eh, I, I would imagine that the higher power the round you use, the better. In that situation, but yeah, I would think you, you know, if you, modern ammunition, if you ran something like stingers, yeah, or velocitors, or something along that line, 
you probably cost some people a really bad day. It would be a really bad day because you would be, I mean, your shot placement, even if you're a terrible marksman, is still a group like that because all of the rounds are coming up before you can move the barrel off of the target. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, But 22 will kill you. I've done videos on that before. I mentioned, you know, 22 long rifle will kill you. 25 ACP will kill you. 32 ACP will kill you. Um, Getting shot always sucks, regardless of the caliber and the power of the round. Um... You know, Jason says in the comments he's got scars from Red Rider BB guns. It sucks to get shot with anything. Well, I mean, even if you had a, uh, an old uh, the Daisy Powerline 880 in 177, yeah, if you place that shot properly, it'll kill. It can kill you. So, I mean, you're talking about shoving a piece of metal at high velocity into a squishy thing. So, yeah, it, it'll kill things. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, don't underestimate. And that's also why I always tell people 22s still aren't toys. Um, they can still kill very easily. And even if they don't kill you, they can make your day suck so hard. So, um, but we've been on here coming up on three hours. Yeah, and it's, and I got to work tomorrow, and I'm sure you got to work tomorrow. Oh, yeah. and so, um, I think that's about all we got. I don't know that I have anything else. Do you? Anything um, else? Any call-outs or anything you want to pimp? Hell no. No? Okay, well, I'll pimp. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, the other show that I'm on, Anarchy Among Friends Roundtable Discussion. We are on every other Sunday uh, where we talk about anarchy, current events, and all sorts of really cool and really fun things. Also, do not forget to check out my friend Derica's fantastic book, Think for Yourself. She's my co-host on Anarchy Among Friends, and it is a uh, critical thinking and logical thinking workbook uh, designed for a wide range of ages uh, for uh, homeschooling, although it's also great for adults uh, also to brush up and learn for the first time in many cases. People who don't learn that... um, also be sure to check out uh, Nick's enemy of the state, Dank Podstash. Uh, he was just on AAFRTD uh, not that long ago. His podcast is absolutely awesome. I'm sure there's other things I'm forgetting. Oh, if you want to advertise or be uh, promoted on my show or on Anarchy Among Friends, please hit me up. I especially love free t-shirts, so if you're a t-shirt maker, I'm looking at you, David Ballantyne. If you're a free t-shirt maker, uh, or whoever runs antistate.net, I also appreciate your shirts and would love to promote your stuff as well. Please hit me up and uh, let me know if you would be interested in doing some more of that. That is basically all I got tonight. I am the Inked Anarchist. Do we decide on Valhalarchist? Sure, we'll go with that. This is Chris. He is the Valhallerkist. Uh, and uh, this has been another episode of Anarchy Among Friends. Uh, Anarchist Weapons Wednesday. Going through the SBRs and all of the insanity of the NFA. That's all I got. You guys stay safe. Stay real. Laugh to heal. Have a good night. We're out. Don't like this. Don't like this at all. I think we might have digressed a bit.